time for somebody's favorite radio program. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, live from the Ocean Casino Resort Studio, here's Mike Gill. Clock on a Thursday, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Mike Gill, Josh Henning, producing today's show. You out there almost made it to the end of the week. Yes, indeed. No Sixers, no Flyers last night or tonight either. Another night of uh, lonely television watching for us out there. But we got plenty to dive into today. The Combine continues in Indianapolis. we got NFL free agency now. We are really within 12 days to free agency. It all starts March 11th. Today's the final day of February. Now, normally, today would be the first day of March, but some random reason, they threw a 29th day into the month of February. Does anybody actually have the background as to why there is a leap year and why? Here's the other question I have. What is the reason why February only has 28 days and everybody else has 30 or 31 and they only randomly have 28? Why did February get the short end of the stick in this uh, monthly calendar that we have out there? And then when they said, you know what, we got an extra day this year, why did they just jam it into February? Why couldn't February said, no, we like our 28 days. Don't give us 29. We want to get to March faster. So put the extra day this year someplace else in the calendar. Give us uh, 31 days in a month that only has 30 somewhere. So according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, I think it's a, a, a solid enough source, right? Uh, they say... That's that the, one of the better sources you're going to find. <laughs> right. According to them, the reason why there's a leap year is because the Gregorian calendar in the 16th century actually was not accurate based on how long it takes us to go around the sun for an entire calendar year. Technically, according to scientists, a full calendar year is 365.2422 days. So that fraction of days has to be made up for every few years, and that's why you have a leap year every four years. So why do they put the day in February? Has anybody figured that one out? Why is it February 29th and not, say, whatever month, what month has only 30 days in it? It's because of the Gregorian calendar. Basically, we are still using... Why can't we have June 31st? Give me an extra day in in the summertime. It basically there the theory is is that because it's easier to add a day during the winter, deep winter, because of when the sun goes up and goes down. Basically. I don't like it. Let's make it. Oh, uh, I didn't say it's a good thing. Yeah, let's just... make it July third. <laughs> let's make it June thirty first because there's only thirty days in June, uh, um, and that gives us an extra summer day. From now on, the next leap year, we're not observing. The 29th, four years from now. We're going to do June 31st. I always wanted to know what it would be like if I was born on February 29th. Yeah, I guess those people who have that that very February existence. 29th birthday, yeah. Like, what is your real age? Do those people, like, age differently? No. No. So then the numerical age that you really have is really insufficient. Correct. I mean, maybe you should be one of those, you know, kids playing Little League Baseball back in the day, right? 
Um, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Um, you can really mock up the uh, the birth certificate there. Yeah. Now somebody says uh, it's because February has less days. Yeah. February. Why does February only have the twenty eight days? What's the deal with that? Why doesn't it have thirty or thirty one? Because in the Gregorian calendar, again, I didn't make the calendar, but this Pope back in the sixteenth century remade the calendar, and the the reason is is because. Of when February falls, which is in the winter, they are they estimated it based on the changing of the seasons. Got it. Well, I don't like it. More days in February. Well, scientists no. don't like it either because according to them, in the Cyclopedia Britannica, they say that Gregorian calendar has messed us up for centuries. Yeah, so really, I'm 47, but I should only be 43. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you're now you're reaching. Um, all right, so <laughs> Phillies in action today down in uh, I think they're in Dunedin today, taking on the Blue Jays. Not and on TV. Not on TV, but updates are coming through, and they're in the fourth inning. That's nothing, nothing. I will say this: uh, the lineup today was interesting. Stott batted leadoff, and Turner hit two. So the last time they played, Turner hit leadoff, and Stott hit two. Right, and that was interesting. Now. Schwarber is not in the lineup today, so you can't go, look, I'm not sitting here trying to read into spring training lineups every single day. I did find it interesting that Turner hit leadoff the one day when Schwarber was also in the lineup, but they haven't been in the lineup together the rest of uh, these games here. But today it's Stott hitting leadoff and Turner hitting in the two-hole. Derek Hall, Sosa, Stubbs, Pache, Dahl, Kingery, and uh, Kroon. So Philly's going with a lot of backups today, really just two regulars in the lineup, and then guys like Sosa, Stubbs, Pache, who are, I mean, I don't know if Pache's going to make the team. He might. Uh, Dahl is in the lineup today. He's another guy to keep an eye on. Kingery, I don't think he's going to make the team, but he's obviously an interesting story um, who has been with the Phillies obviously for like six, seven years now, signed that contract and uh, never worked out for him, but He's one of those like mythical, you know. Remember when the the Eagles had training camp at like Lehigh, and you would have like Mr. Mr. Lehigh, Lehigh, who's the guy who's like having the boat, the best uh, training camp, and like the, usually was like some random wide receiver that was having like uh, like Paul Turner. I was just gonna say, whose legend is bigger, Paul Turner or Scott Kingery? Yeah, well, uh, well, no, Kingery is not one of those guys. But I would say like every year, Kingery. People are like, he had the one spring training about six years ago that got him the contract. Right. And now. That was a waste of money. Well, yeah, it was. And and I got to be honest with you. At that time, I applauded the Phillies for finding a young player and identifying a young player and saying, let's not make him go through all the arbitration nonsense. And let's just say we are committed to you. We are going to reach out to you and pay you the money. Now, a lot of times. Um. Well, I don't want to say a lot of times because the Phillies generally don't do that. A lot of times teams don't do that. Mm -hmm. But I definitely have no problem if a team identifies a player that they want to buy out their arbitration years and go after them. The problem with this player was they thought he was something and he was not. Now, there was a lot of talk about Kinger at the time. You know, Gabe Kapler was the manager. And the thought that they messed up his swing. They, They... Launch angle was a term that was used a lot like four or five years ago. I don't think you hear it as much anymore. Right. Like this launch angle swing. You hear it some, but not as prevalently. Um, I think the Phillies 
kind of messed with Kingery's swing a little bit, and it kind of threw him all out of whack. And he was a guy that was just a contact hitter, could hit the ball uh, all fields. I mean, he had a great spring, whatever year that was. They signed with a contract, and then the Phillies tried to tweak his. I mean, they almost, it's like they wanted him to be a power hitter, and it was during a time where baseball was going through, like, you know, this this launch angle concept, and they tried to get him to be a part of that, and it didn't work very well, and he has never really gotten out of it. I mean, he has just not, and it's not like he's gone to the minors and just, like, ripped it up down there either. He has not really had a very good Phillies career, even in the minor leagues. It's not like he's going down the minors like, see, Kingery's hitting 350 with like 15 home runs, and he's a guy who can run. He's just not been a very good player for this team. So I don't anticipate Kingery helping the team out or making it, but he's still hanging around here. He, he His contract ended, and they they basically uh, – other teams had a chance to sign him, and nobody did, and, and now he's back. So uh, Kingery in the lineup today. You know who Scott Kingery is? Scott Kingery is that – piece of furniture you bought and you loved it when you first bought it but then you spill mustard on it and you still kept the furniture because you spent so much money on it but you can't get the mustard stain now so you're stuck with the furniture with the mustard stain well he's not making the contract that contract is expired so i heard somebody explain it the other day so whatever he was making before he has got paid all that money right now the contract he had minor league years still left on on the old contract that never really like um, came into fruition. Right. So he is getting paid like a regular minor leaguer now. But it's a weird situation if you're Scott Kingery, right? You've been paid. How much was that contract that he signed? I, I got to say it was like over $50 million. He had like a six-year, was it like $58 million deal or something like that? I'm pulling it up. I mean, it could have been, uh, I'm just totally guessing when I say that. But I thought he got like a five-year, $58 million deal. Six, uh, six. Sorry, it's $24 million. $24 million. Okay, so yeah. that's way less than I thought. But he still got, like, so it was like six years, $24 million? Yes. So they have paid him $24 million to do essentially nothing. He's 29 years old. Yeah, he has now uh, gotten to the point where he's not. He's no longer a prospect. He's going to be a great 30 for 30 one day. Well, I don't, wouldn't go that far. I don't know that the, 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 the myth of Scott Kingery means all that much to people. But, hey, look, now he's kind of uh, playing free. He's 29 years old. He's kind of been hanging around the system for a while, and maybe he can, you know, be – I don't know where he would fit. You know, we were talking about this the other day. Here's one thing I think the Phillies – we talked about this yesterday during the segment with the whole Rojas situation. Right. The Phillies bench last year was not good. I mean, it's why Johan Rojas got stuck in the position and the Phillies where they couldn't hit for him – when they wanted to, because they didn't have anybody to hit for them. I don't know that the bench is much better this year other than they have Merrifield. Well, the question with Merrifield is, is he going to be an everyday player? And if he's playing, who's the guy on the bench? You know, is it Marsh? If Marsh is playing, then Rojas is on the bench. So you have Marsh in center, Rojas on the bench, and Merrifield in left, or you have Rojas in center, and then Merrifield and Marsh. But one thing the Phillies could have looked to do, could have could have looked to could what they could have looked to do this offseason is try to improve the bench a little bit. And I'm not sure they accomplished that other than the Merrifield signing. Now, right. again, the Merrifield signing's great, but if he's playing, then he's not really on the bench. And then your bench isn't really all that much stronger, except for 
I guess, if Marsh is not in the lineup that day. So it, you could have Merrifield play left. You could have, at least see, Marsh being the lefty causes the triangle effect here. Marsh can play center one day, then he can play left the other day. And then Rojas is really a center fielder only. I mean, he could probably play the corners, but he's a really good center fielder. And Merrifield, he's probably a guy you would rather play on the corners than you do in center field. Right. But they didn't really add to the bench here. So I'm looking at the Phillies and, you know, there's not a lot of stories going on down there. But one thing I think is a little underrated is one of the reasons why they did not win or weren't good enough to win last year was they did not have a very deep team. Their starting nine was good. But their bench was not good. Right. As soon as you didn't, you realized, wait, we don't have Harper. We don't have uh, Ranger Suarez. And then you had, well, Trent Turner's not hitting. And then it was, well, who are we going to play if we take people out of the lineup due to matchups? And it was like, well, who are we going to play for March? Who are we going to play for Stott? And it's like, uh, let's go trade for Rodolfo Castro. And then we saw how that worked out. Right. So they basically have... Um, Sosa, you know, and none of their bench guys are really guys who were bats. Sosa is like a defensive replacement. He's a very right. good defensive player who can swing the bat a little bit, but he's not a guy that you like want up in like a big spot. He's not a power guy. You got Derek Hall, who's probably not going to make the team, but, you know, with one swing of the bat, he's kind of like your classic maybe left-handed bat off the bench. But the problem with him is he doesn't really play anywhere in the field, so he's not a great option as a bench player. Right, he's extremely limited, especially in a world where we have a DH and we don't pinch hit for hitters, a pinch hit for pitchers anymore with hitters. His value is probably dropping. Like in today's role, what is Matt Stairs' role? Yes, yeah, Stairs is another guy like back in the day that with the pinch hitter, he came into play. With the designated hitter, he may have been a designated hitter option. But as a bench player, you have to be able to play positions in the field right. and generally multiple positions. So Hall probably doesn't make this team. Sosa makes the team, but he's not a guy that you're going to go and say, hey, you're going to pinch hit for somebody. I mean, yeah, he's better bat theoretically, than Pache and Cave and Rojas, but he's not somebody that you're like, hey, this guy's going up there and he's right. a, you know, a 290 hitter. You know, Sosa's an erratic hitter. Um, Pache's another guy. I don't know what Pache's going to end up ev uh, evolving into. I like Pache a lot, but he was so overmatched last year. I mean, he was really bad uh, at the plate, Pache. Now, he got hurt a lot and he missed a lot of time. But Christian Pache, I don't know if he makes the team right out of the gates because he's really a fifth outfielder at this point because of you got Castellanos in right, you got Rojas and Marsh in center, and you got Merrifield and Marsh in left. So you really have four guys in those three spots. When is Christian Pache going to get any playing time to get the opportunity to, to really play? So that's an area where, okay, they brought Merrifield in. And then the other spot on the bench, I would guess, like – you got possibly Cave, who plays first base and the outfield. He's a left-handed bat. So do you keep Cave? Do you go with Derek Hall, a guy who can just swing the bat and pop one over the fence? Do you go with a guy like Dahl? The problem with Dahl is and he's a left-handed uh, bat, and he's an outfielder. Right. So then he's, what, the sixth outfielder on the team? So they really didn't do a good job of adding – 
pieces for depth on this team. Now, you could say Merrifield kind of does multiple things. He's an infielder and an outfielder. So he kind of, you know, takes the spot of two players by he being able to. multiple boxes. Yeah, I mean, because he can play the infield and he can play the outfield. So you right. don't need, like, well, he, he does the, the, the thing of two people. So because he can do two things, Merrifield, does that mean that Hall has a chance now because they don't really need him to play. I mean, he can play first base, but he doesn't play the outfield. And you just say, hey, listen, we need Hall to come in and swing the bat. Another question with him is, is that a role that he will be any good at, being a guy who sits on the bench all the time and then just gets called on once in a blue moon to come up and swing the bat in a situation? So that's another thing. One other guy, as I mentioned, is uh, uh, the other guy is Cody Clements. Clemens is a guy who's got some vers- positional versatility, but he's also a left-handed bat in, in, on a team that is very left-handed heavy. But Clemens can play first. He can play second. He can play the outfield. Uh, so he is a multi-positional guy. So Clemens would be a guy, but, you know, I think they could have probably maybe done something better than Cody Clemens. And then Weston Wilson is also battling for a spot on the team. And Wilson can play second. He can play third. He's an outfielder. So Weston Wilson, I think, is another guy who, you know, provides some positional versatility. Uh, I don't know what they view him in. So those are kind of the guys that are in the mix. Like, if you're watching the Phillies right now, one of the things, like, someone would ask, like, what's something this team, you know, outside of, like, getting the big guys? You know, um, they went out and got Merrifield. They've been in play for um, Montgomery and Snell. At least their name has been. I don't know that they've actually made the calls. Right. But I would say I'm talking about outside of the big names. They 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 really could have maybe looked to improve. Like that's something else that they could have looked to do is improve the bench on this team. And, uh, you know, that's where I think this – spring training does have a little intrigue to it if you're somebody that like says hey look i'm looking at spring training as the big picture who is this team well i know they have a good team but if i want to win the world series i need all 26 it can't just be the best nine it needs to be the best 26 we've seen that now over the years that the phillies lack of depth has been a problem for them and And, and i think it was one of the things that arizona was able to do. They had more depth than you. They could change their lineups. They could do some different things. They could play some different guys. The Phillies' problem is if they're nine, if somebody in the nine is struggling, they don't have anybody else to go to. Arizona last year, one game they batted one guy lead off, the next game somebody else, depending on who the pitcher was. Right. And they had guys kind of moving around, and they played uh, Padermo one day, and they, you know, um, who was the guy um, they got from the Mets? Uh, Fam, Tommy Fam, Tommy Fam. You know, one day he's batting third, one day he's batting fifth. I mean, so they had a little bit more depth to their lineup than the Phillies. I mean, not that their lineup I think was better. I think the Phillies had a better lineup. But when your lineup is struggling and you just don't have any way to kind of tweak it or move it or just say, hey, maybe you need the day off. That's what Merrifield brings. Is hey, I can give you the day off today. You, you know. You're really struggling. Let's try to go with somebody else today. So uh, that's one of the things I think you can watch at spring training and kind of figure out, not figure out, you can't figure out anything at spring training. But what you can do is one of the things you can look at is, all right, who's rounding into form for some bench pieces here? 
Uh, so Kingery would be an interesting. And by the way, Kingery has positional versatility too. He plays second. He plays third today. He's playing third. He plays short. He plays the outfield. So I guess that gives him some opportunity. I would think he's a long shot. Try to piece together my 26-man roster. Because, you know, you got the five starters. I think they're set. Wheeler, Nola, Suarez, Walker, Sanchez. That's five. And then you kind of go from there. Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Hey, listen, today at 55 after each hour, we will play that sounder for you, the watch party at Maynard's and Margate. We invite you to come on out and check us out. And you could win a trip to go see the Phillies and the Baltimore Orioles at Camden Yards. That's all today on the Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. You're listening with Mike Gill. When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. I can't see him, but he talks to me. On 97.3 ESPN. Oh, man, it's all take. You know, if it takes longer than, you know, the timeline is. Uh, as far as the games and the playoffs, we have the naming. You got to make those decisions. But, yeah, it's all about content. Uh, that was Joel Embiid earlier today. No timeline on when he will return. But he did talk today. Seemed like he was in good spirits. He said there was nothing he would have done differently. He said his mindset is playing basketball, playing as much as I can. For really two months, I was not at 100%. I was not even close to it. I just felt the need of always giving my all to the team, and I just wanted to win because I know I can add that to this basketball team. So there's nothing different I would have done. Like I always say, everything happens for a reason. The way I looked at it is it's very depressing. But the way I also looked at it is that there's another way to work on myself, on my body, and just get as healthy as possible. That was Joel Embiid earlier today. So he basically said my mindset's on playing basketball. But I thought the interesting part of that was he said for two months he was not 100%, and he was scoring 35 points a game while not really being 100% healthy. I mean, what more... Can you get out of Joel Embiid if he comes back and finally this knee is healthy? He went uh, under the knife back there, uh, you know, about two months ago. Actually, it was about a month ago. I I should say about a month ago. And the team put out a statement, you know, after that, that he would be reevaluating four weeks. So that will be... I guess uh, Tuesday the fifth is would be uh, would be the next time that we're going to hear something if 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 anything from them I don't know you know I don't expect to get a whole lot from that update. Well, that was one of the questions that was asked to Embiid today was about you know hey you know the, when the Sixers came out and said they're going to reevaluate that would be next week you know they asked him you know how how are you feeling in terms of that and Embiid kind of brushed away that idea that we're going to have more answers next week. I don't think anything is going to change between now uh, and a week from now. Uh, like I said, it's all about our field. Uh, rehab is going pretty well. Uh, ups and downs. Uh, but we manage it. Uh, so, you know, just the goal is try to get as healthy as possible and, uh, you know, come back. Yeah, I mean, he said there's really no update. Um, and I don't expect, that's what I said, I, I don't expect something uh, next week, which was four weeks from the last time they put something out, right. for them to change anything. I mean, 
he was speaking today. I don't know who put him out there. I don't know why he was speaking today. I mean, I thought it was random that, hey, Joel oh, Bean's talking random. today. It was random. I mean, I, I don't <laughs> I don't think there was anybody thinking Joel was going to talk today, but it was like, it, it almost had a vibe. I, I don't know how much you saw on, on uh, Twitter X, Mike, but like the way some people took the pictures, it was almost like MB just kind of like was there. They talked to him and they left. <laughs> Well, that's what it looked like. I mean, I watched the video. They uh, streamed it on NBC Sports Philadelphia's YouTube channel, and it almost looked like it was being streamed off somebody's cell phone. Right. I mean, it was like a vertical yep. uh, video. It wasn't like the full screen. And I got to give Joel. them credit. They kept the camera still. They did, but they didn't do a great job with, with the, the audio. audio. But that could have been, hey, it was just off somebody's phone. So you got yeah. the basketballs bouncing in the background. You've got all the ambient noise coming around because <laughs> you don't have a microphone that is like a, uh, you know, used for, for getting audio. Like, hey, here, I'm holding this up into your face. And that the mic is just right. picking up what's Naturally. in front of them. Right. <laughs> so that's why the audio is, it, it was just a weird situation. He said, it's not over yet. The goal was always about winning. So if the stats don't bring up a lot of wins, that wouldn't matter. But that's why it's always extremely disappointing when you start talking about basketball because I felt like I was on a roll and I wasn't even close to where I wanted to be body-wise and basketball-wise. I wasn't at my best. So I felt like there was still another level that I could go to. It was very disappointing. I was having fun playing, getting a lot of wins, and dominating. You know, And that's what's the interesting part. Like He said... I was on a roll, but I wasn't close to where I wanted to be. And that is what is perplexing about the whole situation. I mean, you had Joel Embiid playing at an MVP level, and he's just sitting there saying, well, I didn't really think I was where I wanted to be yet. So, you know, I feel bad for Embiid. He got asked a lot of questions about, like, hey, how frustrating is this? And, you know, he says, basically, you've got to, you know, um, things happen for a reason, and, and you kind of – you know, work on yourself in these kind of situations. But you can't help but feel bad for the guy because one of the things that he asked was asked about was the team now and the fact that they have this group of guys that he kind of likes. And Keith Pompey was on with us yesterday. And this is why, and I asked Pompey if he feels if Joel Embiid's going to come back or not. And he says absolutely he feels like Embiid's going to come back for a couple of reasons. They wouldn't have traded for Buddy Heald, and Kyle Lowry wouldn't have signed here if he wasn't given some assurance that, hey, Joel's going to come back. You just need to like sign here, and once he gets back, we'll be good. But a healthy Embiid plus Maxi, and then Buddy Heald and Lowry, those two additions, I think Embiid kind of looked at that. He said... We were playing at a high level, especially when we had everybody healthy. I believe that the way Tyrese has been playing and the couple of guys we added, and then obviously everyone else needs to follow, I still think we got a pretty good chance. So Embiid, looking around, I think he's frustrated and and, and I don't want to say sad, but disappointed. Well, he, he said multiple times during the 13 minutes he was frustrated. He said it multiple times, so it's definitely there. Well, and I think he's frustrated because he sees a team that he thinks the way he was playing that he has a legitimate shot with. Yep. And he said, look, everyone goes through rough patches. He says, but I told the coach after the first three games of watching 
Buddy Heald, Buddy Heald, and then Lowry played a game, and he said after watching them play for three games, he said, man, I wish I was playing because I was so excited. Buddy, the way he's playing, I just felt like I could help him even more. And then Kyle Lowry, I talked to him. Obviously, having him here, I think he's going to help us a lot. I think he's going to help me a lot with his experience. And then basketball-wise, he's still really freaking good. So Embiid, I think, is acknowledging and noticing that this team is struggling without him, but with him, they're a completely different team that has a chance. I think he thinks legitimately, man, if I was just healthy right now, things would be so different for us. And you know what? I tend to agree with him. I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. I think the Sixers, without Embiid and record wise, they're really not even a playoff team. I don't know if they played, like, if they started the season without Joel Embiid and he wasn't on this team and this was the team, I don't know that they're 7 and 17 bad. The, the makeup of the team would probably be different because I don't think you would go with Paul Reed and Mo Bamba as the only big men on the sure. team. So it's hard to say this is what they would be because with Joel Embiid, you got Paul Reed. You paid him $7 million to basically back up Joel and play like 8 to 12, 15 really high-energy minutes. Well, when Joel goes out and now you're asking Paul Reed to play 25 to 30 minutes, that changes what Reed does well. Yep. It changes everything. So it's hard to say the makeup of the team without Joel what they really are. And that's where I think and B kind of looks at this and is like, man, me not being here is a huge – I mean, yes, it's a huge difference, Joel, but last year they were 11-5 and five without Joel Embiid. So why do people think they were able this year to – or last year – to be successful without Joel, and this year they're struggling so much without him. What What is people's reasoning for that? I'm interested to see what people think about why the Sixers last year, they were 11-5 and five without Joel Embiid. I have the answer. People don't like the answer. The answer is James Harden. They had a dude. Well, I, I would say, okay... Don't you think most people listening, most Sixers fans, like or think that Maxi is better than Harden? I think a lot of people would like to say that, yes. Is it not true? Is Harden better than Maxi? Harden last year was still a better player at that point than Maxi is right now. Because Harden had the experience to know how to dig deep. Maxi has these great games, but they're not always consistent. I think Maxi is still evolving into that tier of player. So, like, maybe Maxi is that guy in, like, a year or two, but I don't think he, from what I've seen, I don't well, think he's that guy mind, right now. Keep in mind, Harden had Maxi to play with last year, so you had both of them. You did. Maxi doesn't have Harden to play with. Correct. He has Buddy Heald. Right. Well, he has Buddy Heald for four games. He didn't have Buddy Heald essentially. Well, well, yeah. I mean, Buddy Heald's only played like five or six games for the Sixers. Right. Well, also you throw in there Tobias Harris, who's a nothing burger at this point. Yeah, but Tobias was here last year. I'm talking about. Well, the only difference is most. I think most people look at this year's team and think that it's better than last year's team or that they are healthy. If they're healthy. 
that they have a better shot than last year's team. And I and I don't know that everybody feels that way, but like if Joel Embiid's healthy with Maxi Embiid, Ubre, Healed, the whole crew, do you believe that this team has a better shot than last year's team does? Yes, because I think that they have built this team around Joel. And I think without Joel, you're missing a massive piece of it's like it's like having a car and you, you took the engine out and you put a smaller engine in. And you're like, man, this car has no acceleration, no torque, no nothing. And then you put the big engine back in. You're like, there's Joel Embiid. There's the, the beast within. And you basically took the beast out of the car. Yeah. I, I Like, the Sixers right now are, I think, uh, if they're healthy. See, that's a tough one, man. If they're healthy, I think the difference is the team is deeper. Yes. I think last year's team with Harden, Maxi, Harris, Embiid, who was the fifth guy last year? Uh, Melton. Melton. I think that five-man starting lineup was just as good, if not better, because you had Harden. This team doesn't have Harden. I think that team was fine. Their problem last year was the bench was not the bench was hard. nothing. Shake Milton, you know, coming off the bench. Um, uh, who's somebody that I'm forgetting that came off the bench last year? Oh, Niang. Niang. Oh, Niang. Oh, Niang. No, didn't play. I mean, he was on the team, but aside from Corkmaz, he didn't play at all. <laughs> I'm trying to think, like, is there who was the who was like the guy off the bench for them last year? I'm pulling up last year's roster. Yeah, like I, I, I feel like, but this team, we're we're one of the big conversational points about this team has been. How many guys Nick Nurse can play if they, you know, are at full strength? Like, how many different... P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker. Okay, he started, not Melton. It was Maxi, Harden, Tucker, Harris, and Embiid. They were your five. And then after that, you had Niang. I mean... Shake Milton. Shake Milton. Montrez Harrell. Yeah, it was not... No, Harrell, he missed the whole year last year. He, he had an ACL problem. He played 57 games last year. Well, yeah, he missed... After he got the ACL, he missed half the, the. But I'm saying in the playoffs, he didn't play in the playoffs. Well, you acquired Jalen McDaniel's at the yeah. Their, their their bench last year was Paul Reed, Niang, McDaniel's. Jalen McDaniel's played 12 minutes a game. So in the playoffs, Reed played 14 minutes, Niang played 14 minutes, McDaniel's played 12 minutes. And Melton played 24 minutes. So, like, you had a three-man bench last year. That is where I think the difference is. Their starting lineup last year, Embiid, Maxi, Harden, Harris, and then Tucker, of course, was what he was. But that team was fine. The five were five. It was the six, seven, and eight, nine guys that really were the drop-off. You know what I'm hearing from you? I'm hearing that last year's Sixers and last year's Phillies were both similar. That they both had great starting lineups, but both of their team depth was just not good enough to Not win. good enough. Depth. But that's where this team, I think last year's starting team was comparable. You have Who Batum is- and, and P.J. Tucker. Yeah. You have Embiid and Embiid. You've got Maxi and Maxi. You've got Heald versus Harden. Different types of player. Heald is a better shooter. Right. Harden's more of a put the ball on the floor and, and and create. And then the other guy is Harrison Harris. And this version of Harris and last year's version. But where you're better is Oubre, Melton off the bench, Kyle Lowry. 
you definitely have more talent off the bench this year. So who has better depth this year? The Phillies coming into this season or the Sixers right now? Definitely the Sixers. Okay. No question. The Sixers have probably one of the deepest benches in the league. And if they can get Embiid back, puts them right up into the mix. If, if Joel Embiid is healthy and plays the whole year, they're in play for the two seed. Without them, they're in play for a playing game right now. That's the difference. Yeah. Mike, they should have beat Boston last year. They were good. I would rather Harden than Buddy. Yeah, I mean, you can make that right now, especially Harden's playing really well in uh, Clipperland. For so much that it's psychological. I mean, Harden. Well, he just didn't want to be here. So. Yeah. I would say that Buddy offers something that Harden doesn't. I don't want to say that. Harden's so streaky. He's not a great three point shooter, but he can make a big shot. Harden uh, healed is probably a more consistent three point shooter, but can he too. make the big one? He's streaky, but he's still 40% streaky next to Harden, who's like 33% streaky. It's just that Harden will make the big one. I don't know that Heald, in the big moment of the game, is willing to step in and take that big three. Well, one of the problems, we haven't seen Heald in the big moments. He hasn't made the playoffs a whole heck of a lot. No. All right, 243 Sports Bash. I want to tell you about my friend Rocco over at Key Acura of Atlantic City. Now through, well, today. Today is the last day he can get you into a 2024 Acura Integra lease. For just three sixty nine a month. So if you're thinking about that car and you say, I want that deal, today's the last day for that deal. Or if you want to go bigger, MDX leads for four eighty nine a month. And beginning on Saturday, March the 2nd, their service department will be open again all Saturdays. So stop in and see Rocco at Key Acura of Atlantic City. Tilton Road EHT, the smart but friendly dealer, online at keyacuraofatlanticcity.com. This Mike Gill. And I am the voice. Of the voiceless. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 11 to the top of the hour. We have another chance for you to qualify for the Phillies and Orioles road trip to Camden Yards. Thanks to Philly Sports Trips. We'll be going to Maynard's and Margate on opening day to watch the Phillies and the Braves. And you can enter for a chance to win a trip down to Baltimore. The trip is, they play the Orioles on uh, Saturday, June 15th. So make sure you're available that day. The Phillies are playing down in Baltimore. It's Father's Day weekend. And Philly Sports Trip will bring you to the game and home. And they will provide the ultimate tailgate experience. Another awesome tailgate party planned with the guys from Philly Sports Trips. This tailgate party is fantastic. Caesar salad, clams, mussels, shrimps, and the white wine sauce. Penny pasta and the cream blush sauce. Filet mignon sandwiches, boneless chicken sandwiches, grilled sausage and peppers, hot dogs, burgers, drinks, T-shirts you'll get for being a part of the trip. And that's all thanks to Philly Sports Trips. We're going to be live at Maynard's and Margate on opening day. And opening day is uh, less than a month away. Yesterday was the official one-month day, and now we are inside of a month for the Phillies and the Braves. By the way, Phillies playing today, they are down in the clear. Uh, I think they're playing in Dunedin today against the Blue Jays. Uh, yesterday they played in Philly or Clearwater. It's 2 nothing Phils, and uh, one of the Phils did a little yard work there. How about Christian Pache for all the Pache fans out there? I think Pache's had a good spring, by the way. 429, it's his second homer. Uh, maybe he's improved. Maybe he's worked on uh, his game and got that whole lot of his swing. I mean, he just had a big swing problem last year. He was just overmatched. But Pache, with a two-out um, home run, little uh, sixth inning, 
to uh, make it a, a two nothing game for the Phils. So and then tra- Trey Turner also two for three with a ribby. So you know Turner's cool to see. You know last year he had that awesome World Baseball Classic, and you would think, man, he was amazing in the World Baseball Classic. That should carry over. There's a lot there though. Think about. One, he's on a new team, he signs this huge contract, and then he's not around his new team, too. Right. You don't know what kind of talent, pitching-wise, USA was seeing every single day. Like, I mean, I don't know how many major leaguers were pitching in the World Baseball Classic, and you're only seeing them for, like, an inning here, an inning there. Like, guys weren't pitching full games in the World Baseball Classic. So, one of the things Dave Dombrowski said as well with guys like Turner and Schwarber and Harper, not Harper, but Harper, too, because he was hurt, but uh, Real Muto, and then he talked about the pitchers. They didn't get adequate spring training innings and at-bats and didn't get to get monitored in Philly's camp. So here's Turner. I think Turner now has that all behind him. He had his first, you know, four or five months of the season where, eh, let's just be honest, he wasn't all that good. And you get into a situation where, um, the, he struggled a bunch. And then we all know what happened with Turner. He all of a sudden, you know, the adulation from the fans to let him know that, hey, we do appreciate that you're trying here, man. We got your back. We support you. And he really took off the rest of the way, Trey Turner. Can they get that guy all season long? That would be a lot of fun to watch, right? That's the guy you signed for over $300 million. Now, I would say I think Turner probably got overpaid, as did a lot of guys on that shortstop market, but it was a byproduct of four shortstops being available all in the same year. You had all four of these guys, Bogarts, um, the, the guy from Atlanta, Swanson, Swanson, and then Turner Carlos and Carlos Correa. You had four shortstops all available on the market at the same time. So they were pushing each other's prices up, 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 up. I don't think Turner's a $300 million guy, to be honest with you, but he's certainly better than the guy we saw last year. But I will say this. He's not as good as the guy we saw in August and September. I think that guy was way exceeding expectations. So you think there's an in-between? Yeah, I mean, look, Turner's a guy. He's been a high-on-base guy. Um High batting average guy, not a big power guy. I mean, so if you're thinking last year, you know, last year he had 26 home runs. That was a career high. I mean, that was the most home runs he ever hit last year. Was was last year, the year before in in L.A. where he got the contract, he only had 21 homers. Last year he had 26 home runs. Now in L.A. at 100 ribbies. Last year here he only had 76. He had a 340 on base last year. His on base the year before 385. So. Think about that with Trey Turner. Who is he and what can he be? That's something to keep an eye on this year. Is he something that we saw September, August, early in the year, or somewhere in between? This is the Sports Bash on 97.3. And the Sports Bash is looking for caller number seven right now. 609-573-3776. 609-573-3776. Caller seven, you're entered to win a trip. To Baltimore to see the Phillies play the Orioles at Camden Yards. Be caller seven right now, and that'll get your name in the hat for Phillies opening day. Our Phillies opening day watch party at Maynard's at Margate. You must be present to win Phillies opening day against the Braves on March 28th. First pitch at 3 o'clock. We 
We'll select one lucky winner, and it could be you. Caller number 7, 609-573-3776. The watch party is open to the public. Everyone out there is invited to Maynard's at Margate to come on and hang out and watch Philly's opening day. But you must qualify. And caller 7, you're one of our qualifiers. Good luck. Jersey, this is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, live from the Ocean Casino Resort Studio, here's Mike Gill. All right, just after three, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN this hour, brought to you by Broadley's Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Broadley's your trusted source for heating and plumbing service and installation for generations. Call them at 609-390-3907. Visit them online at broadleys.net. Live inside the Ocean Casino Resort Studio, I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. Steve in Sicklerville, congratulations to you, Steve. You have a shot to now to go see the Phillies and the Orioles Father's Day weekend down in Baltimore. Take Dad with you, right? That's a good idea. Take Dad down for a trip to Baltimore. Um, we got Nick's Nuggets today. I, I would imagine people keep an eye on the Phils, by the way. They are... Uh, up 5 nothing now. He kind of busted it open here, if you will. See what happened in that game. Who went uh, and did something? Nah, nothing crazy. Um, nobody of substance. So Pache hit the homer earlier. Turner had an RBI. That made it 2 nothing. All the rest of the runs came from guys who probably uh, you've never heard of. Carlos De La Cruz had an RBI. Uh, Podkull. Had an RBI. I think he's a first baseman or a third baseman or something. Yeah, we all know who he is. And Simonette. Simonette. Oh, of course, him. Yeah. yeah he's a second that baseman. Guy. He had a ribby. So there you go. He's Who's the best. For the Phils today? Uh, nobody of so. Uh, Connor Brogdon threw today. Um, and uh, Marte. Marte has, a, I guess, a small shot. I think Brogdon had a shot to make the team. I don't think it's going to happen. He has not looked good, although today. He uh, didn't give up a run, but he's been a very disappointing guy. So I was talking about uh, last hour, um, Turner. You know, Trey Turner got paid this ridiculous contract. And I say ridiculous. He was not a $300 million guy. He he was at the right place at the right time. But keep in mind, Trey Turner is 30 years old. I mean, that contract is going to be bad at some point. The – Euphoria of adding Trey Turner after you go to the World Series is what pulls the wool over your eyes sometimes. Mm-hmm. It is the initial buzz, and then the next day you're hungover. <laughs> like, you are so ecstatic and partying and you're happy. You know, somewhere down the line, you're going to be hungover, and right. it's going to be his contract just looming when he's 35, 36, 37 years old, and you're like, my gosh. But let's go through the Trey Turner ride, if you will. So Turner's a guy, he bursts on the scene, really, in 2016 with Washington. And he hits 342 with a uh, 370 on base, 13 homers, 40 RBIs, 14 stolen bases. He only played 73 games. So this looks like a guy who's going to be a player. The next year, he plays 98 games. He had some injury issues, 284, 11 homers. 284 with 11 homers on 98 games, mind you. So, and a 338 on base percent. Those aren't great numbers. They're just okay numbers. 2018 is his first full season. He plays all 162. He hits 271 with 19 homers and is on base 344. 
43 stolen bases. This is a guy who's got speed and could do some things. But if I told you I just paid a guy who played 162 games, had 19 over 73 ribbies, 271, and I gave him $300 million, I'd be saying, what are you, out of your mind? Like, what are those numbers? They're like Whit Merrifield numbers. And Whit Merrifield just got $8 million. So you might be wondering, okay, where did this guy earn his money? Well, the next year in Washington, 298, 19 homers. You know, last year, his 26 homers, the most he's ever had. Before that, he hit 21 homers the year before in L.A. He hit uh, 298 with 343 on base percentage, 21 homers and 100 RBI, and he stole 27 bases in 160 games in L.A. That's really the best season collectively that he's ever had. I mean, He's had injury issues. He's missed a lot of games over the years. He had the COVID stuff, so it's hard to kind of navigate through there. Like the year from COVID, 2020, they played 59 games that year. Well, he was excellent. 335, 394 on base percentage, 12 home runs in 59 games. So that's a really good 59-game stretch there. 2021, he plays in 96 games. He hits 322 with a 369. He has 18 homers. Okay, 18 homers in 96 games. That's a really good stretch. He gets traded to the, and that was with um, LA, excuse me, Washington before he gets traded to LA. So in the year of 2021, I think you could say 2021 collectively, when he got traded from Washington to LA, that is probably his signature season, the 2021 season where he hit uh, 328 with 28 homers. So 28 homers is the most he's ever hit. Last year he hit 26, but 28 is collectively because the way that it's broken down is he hit um, between, right, the two teams. So his best season, I would say, is 328, 28 homers, 77 RBI, 32 stolen bases, 375 on base. He led the league with 195 hits. But I mean, in reality, Trey Turner has been a pretty good player, not an elite player. You know, think about this. He's made the All-Star game twice. Now, in a sport where every team has to get a representative, he's only been an All-Star two times. He's been in the MVP top 10 twice. He was 11th in the MVP voting once. So he's only been a top 15 MVP player twice. And one of those years, by the way, was 2020 during the COVID season. Mm -hmm. So I'm not trying to be like, you know, what the heck were they doing signing Trey Turner? But my, my wonder is what is Trey Turner? Like, what can we expect from him? What are fans expecting from Turner? Are you expecting, I don't know, like, are you expecting a guy who hits 300 with 25 homers and 100 RBI? And, like, is this just numbers eye-popping off the page? Are you expecting someone who's more like 275? Like, over his nine-year career, okay, his 162-game average. If he averaged up 162 games over his nine years. Right. He is a 296 hitter. He averages 24 home runs a season, 82 RBI, 42 stolen bases, on base percentage three forty nine. If that's the year he gives you, are you okay with that? I am because I don't expect him to be some thirty five homer, one hundred and ten RBI guy ever. He's never been that guy. 
I feel like, I mean, the perspective of him was he was brought here to be a part of the top of the road, top of the lineup, and be a quality right-handed bat, right? Um, yeah, I think, but I, I'm not sure what Phillies fans thought that he was supposed to be. When you sign a guy for three hundred million dollars, what do you like? Your expectation, I think, is a little different than the numbers I just gave you. You're, you're thinking you're probably looking more home runs, more RBI for for three hundred million dollars. Which I mean, what was his contract? Ten years, like three something. I think it was three twenty five. All check. right, well, whatever it is, you're not double checking. You're checking once. <laughs> um, for that kind of money, I think that most fans are looking at. I want an MVP candidate. Like, I want a guy who's the best player on the team. I want a guy who is in the MVP conversation. 11 years, $300 million flat. Okay, so 11 years, $300 million. And Harper got 330 Gotcha. So he is paid commiserate to what Bryce Harper got. I mean, Harper's $30 million more, but they're both in the $300 million like, range. They're, they're both in a very particular tier that many players are not the 300 million dollar tier to me is a tier of you should be in the mvp conversation and that's not who and i don't know that trey turner is going to be in the mvp conversation now i'm not saying that i look at this and say it was a bad signing what i would say is they overpaid a guy right and that doesn't mean he's bad that doesn't mean he doesn't fit i think that He's going to be a guy that is going to be highly productive. No, the year that he had, like last year in the playoffs, for instance, he had 347 with a 400 on base percentage, had three home runs, five RBIs. He stole five bases. Uh, he was really, really good in the playoffs last year. So so he's more of a clutch performer then maybe than an MVP candidate? Small sample. I mean, 13 games with the Dodgers the year before. He played in four games. He had 333 the year before that. He played in 12 games. He only hit 216. I mean, well, these are, things are so up and down. Sure, but there, I would say there are affiliate fans out there that would say, hey, if you give me that every postseason, he's worth every one of those $300 million. Yeah, and now, but the question I think with Turner is, what about um, like his 162-game average is 296, 24 homers, 82 RBI. The 42 stolen bases, I think, is a, is a very good number. Last year, he stole uh, 30 bases for you. So mm-hmm. his stolen base numbers have kind of dipped a little bit from where they were at their height when he right. um, you know, led the league in steals with 43, and then he had 46 one year. But if he's a guy who hits like right around like 295 with 20 homers – are you okay with that based on, like, I don't know. That's 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 why I think because, and I feel like Turner is a little weird because of the, the season he had last year. So you sign this guy for $300 million. Oh, right, we got this guy, $300 million. He's Trey Turner. This is amazing. And we were in the World Series sixth game, and we're adding Trey Turner. Like, that makes us so much better, and it, and it does. But I'm just saying, you get this guy – and in May hit 208, and in July hit 218, and then in August you got a guy that was on another planet. He hit 333 with nine home runs and 26 RBI. So there wasn't a lot of like, who really are you, man? You were this guy that you were like, you're not this bad, and then you were this other guy. You're like, are you really that good? And I hope Philly fans aren't gonna hold him to the August guy, and don't think he's you know. I don't think he's the guy that you got in 
in May and July. And Judy was actually okay. Right. He hit two seventy nine with three homers and 14 RBI in the month of June. So when June, he was actually okay. It doesn't register. Yeah, cause it's, like, it's funny because he, he, was, he was good in April, not good in May. Good in June, not good in July. Amazing in August. It's like, and he was okay in September. He hit, like, well, I say okay. He hit 300 with seven home runs and 16 RBI. He just wasn't as good as he was in August. Right. But I don't know. I think it's an interesting conversation of, what do people expect Trey Turner to be? I think they expect him to be more consistent this year. I feel like that's probably the biggest hope for people because I think a lot of people mentally go back to what he was at times last year. and They were so frustrated with him, but they were also so elated during that month of August. But that's where I find it to be interesting because I don't think he's the guy in August and I don't think he's the guy – from the rest of the season. But you also He's know... somewhere in the middle, but, and is that good enough? And you also know that Philly sports fans change their emotions from day to day throughout a season. Well, and he was a guy that frustrated you so much, but you wanted to believe that he was better, so much so that everybody cheers for him one night, and, you know, that kind of coincides with when his season turns around. But because there was this belief that the guy that we paid $300 million for can't be this guy... And I want you to be better, so I'm going to show you that I want you to be better and that I'm supporting you, and then he is better. But I don't know that he can sustain that. I mean, no. that's an unsustainable pace. And if he's not that guy and he's lesser than that, are you saying, eh, we got this guy for $300 million and he really wasn't what I thought? You know, it's like yeah. um, you, pick, you pick the guy out. You know you maybe paid more for him. The fans didn't really realize that. They just figured, hey, he was on the Dodgers. He's Trey Turner. He, I've heard so much great things about this guy. I'll pay whatever I have to to get him. And now you have him, and you're like, this is what you get for $300 million? That's the thing. I don't think he is a $300 million producer. That's that's where I wonder with him what, what expectations are from the, from the fans out there. Uh, a couple text messages. Mike Trey's a shortstop that's solid in every aspect of the game. Similar to Lindor. Great D, decent offensive production, play every day. That's valuable. Also think players like Trey and Lindor have longevity game. These MVP candidates peak and fall off for the back end of those lucrative deals. Well, I will say, Trey did not play a great shortstop last year. He was not good. And I think he would tell you that. You could argue that, I mean, I mean, can't argue. No, it was his worst year defensively last year of his career, which... Oh, he had the, games where the routine play he just didn't make. I mean, it was it, it was, was pretty bad. Watch. Yeah, it was it was tough at times, and there were games where he looked like he was so dejected and so uh, much like the player who had completely lost confidence at times. I mean, I think there was a game out in San Diego one night where there was a ball hit right to him and it just goes right through his legs, and you could see it in his face and. You know, he just did not play a great shortstop last year. Now, that doesn't mean that he's a bad defensive shortstop because he made dazzling plays at times. He just was not. Whatever it was, last year was a weird Trey Turner. And I'm wondering from Phillies fans, what are your expectations from Trey Turner this year? Is it, look, for $300 million, I don't think it's unfair of you. I like to say that Phillies fans can be irrational at times, or Philadelphia sports fans can be irrational at times, and I think people are, but that's fine. It's what makes Philly sports fans, to me, the best. The irrationality of the demand. But is it irrational to think that I 
don't think you're getting a $300 million player, and that doesn't make him a bad player. Right. It just means that he's not going to give you 35 home runs and 100 RBI each year. No, I mean, and that's the thing. Where's he hitting in the lineup? Um, I saw something interesting today regarding, um, like, the the whole leadoff situation. By the way, Dave Gallagher messaged me on uh, Twitter today, and he sent me his lineup. He said my opening day lineup for the Phillies. He has Merrifield leading off, Stott hitting second, Turner hitting third, Harper hitting fourth, Bohm hitting fifth, Schwarber hitting sixth, Cassianos hitting seventh, Real Muto hitting in the eight hole, and then Rojas in the nine hole, and he says Marsh gets 350 at-bats off the bench. Dave Gallagher, who, by the way, has been a guest on our show, former Major League player, nine years in the league, uh, played with the Phillies for a little while there. So that was what he texted me uh, or tweeted at me that his lineup would be. Hey, if I, the Phillies look at Merrifield and think legitimately, but on that reason I say that because the Phillies have three – legitimate leadoff options now. They have Turner, they have Schwerber, and they have Merrifield. But as we do more exploration of this, since signing Kyle Schwerber, when he has let off games for the Phillies, they are 132-99. and That's a 57-win percentage pace. When he does not lead off, they are 45-48. and so do those numbers register to people at all? That's a 484 win. They're under 500. Under 500. So when Schwarber leads off 132 and 99, when he does not lead off 45 and 48. Well, then in that case, you have to lead him off. Well, and this is what this is from Ryan uh, Spader, who did this uh, research. He said, on average, the leadoff spot comes to the plate 33.9 times more per season than the guy who bats in the three hole. And that's roughly 7.5 more games worth of plate appearances. So that's one of the reasons that you would say, if you want Schwarber to get all those extra at bats, the guy who provides the most power for you. Another thing that he said that was interesting, the Phillies actually saw the leadoff spot come up with runners in scoring position Seven more times in the three-hole spot last season. So all of the complaints that Schwarber could be knocking more runs in if he was hitting in the middle of the lineup, this kind of displaces that by saying the Phillies' leadoff spot last year came up with runners in scoring position seven more times than the three-hole guy did. So if Schwarber's hitting leadoff, he actually had more RBI chances than, the, than he would have had had he been hitting in the three or four spot in the order. I thought that was very interesting. And that's why for some people they have talked about Merrifield hitting ninth because if he's batting ninth, you're getting a guy who can get on ahead of Schwarber every day in the lineup. Yeah, Merrifield as kind of like everybody kind of says, oh, that second leadoff guy. But if you have a guy that's down in the bottom of the order and now he's on base and Schwarber comes up, these numbers probably even get inflated. He said across baseball, teams had an average of just 4.3 more hits with runners in scoring position from their three-hole hitter than their leadoff hitter and only 1.7 more hits with runners in scoring position and first base open. So his point is... The best player on every team should be batting leadoff. He's mm-hmm. advocating Bryce Harper should bat leadoff. 
Aaron Judge should bat leadoff. Shohei Otani should bat leadoff because they get 34 more at-bats. They get spots with runners in scoring position just as much, and if you're the Phillies, more than other teams. See, I think that that, this is an example to me, Mike, of where analytics and stats can be used to create a story or narrative that maybe is not factoring in other elements because one of the aspects that makes Harper, Judge, Trout, whoever you want to put in the conversation, these great hitters, is that they are where they are in the lineup and they're comfortable there in the lineup. So now if you create every baseball lineup where these guys are your leadoff hitter and they're not in the spots that they're used to being in, are they going to be as productive? Fair question. I mean, we have looked at many times the stats of guys like Turner in the leadoff hole versus other spots in the order. Schwarber, his numbers in the leadoff spot are better than when he hits in other spots in the lineup. Uh, I haven't really better than certain lineup spots in the lineup. Yeah, I haven't looked at uh, Harper all that much on what his numbers kind of look like from one spot and other. He mostly has hit out of the three spot. Luke chimes in. Uh, says, I expect Turner to be a 300 or better hitter, a 30 homer, 30 stolen base or better guy with 80 to 100 ribbies and solid defense. Eh, I don't know that you're getting 30 homers. I think that's asking for a lot. The 30 stolen bases, the 80 to 100, I think those numbers are fair. The 300 number, I don't think that's far-fetched. I just think, I don't know that Turner's a 30 home run guy, but maybe later on in his career, does he show even more power than he has displayed You know, earlier in his career? I mean, 28 home runs is the most that Uh, Turner has ever hit. So I pulled up Harper's numbers. As you would expect, the majority of his career has been in the number three hole. And in that position, he has a 287 batting average and a 407 on base. The second most he has batted was number two. In that position, his batting average drops to 251 and the on base percentage goes to 330. The next position he has hit the most in is number four in the lineup. In that spot, he hits about the same batting average and about the same on base. So those are the three ones that he has at least 900 plate appearances. It's third, second, and fourth. He is significantly better batting third and fourth than second. He's never hit leadoff. Yeah, I I didn't know that he never hit in the leadoff spot. Going to baseball reference, never hit leadoff. Huh, interesting. Um, Yeah, and I don't know that anybody's really, now that guy is, advocating for uh, Harper to hit leadoff. It's, you know, whether or not Schwarber's the right guy. Is Turner a better option? Should you go with a guy like Merrifield? I think the Phillies will go with Schwarber. The numbers support Schwarber. The wins and losses do. And his numbers do. Right. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Joel Embiid spoke today. What are some of the key points from him? And does Joel himself feel like he's going to return and play that's coming up next paul hudrick from liberty ballers will join us as the big guy randomly spoke on a thursday that's next this is the sports bash on 97.3 espn the sports bash with mike gill on 97.3 espn and the free mobile app all right 3 30 sports bash this hour brought to you by broadley's plumbing heating and air conditioning broadley's call them 390 390- 3907 online at broadleys.net inside the Ocean Casino Resort Studio. 
I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. Joel Embiid had a impromptu meeting today with the media. I don't know that this was scheduled. Maybe the uh, beat guys knew. Paul Hudrick from Liberty Ballers was there. I got a chance to kind of watch it. Uh, it was like uh, on somebody's cell phone. It was very tough to make out the audio. Uh, but Joel did speak today. I did kind of listen to some of the key elements of it, Paul. But ultimately, I want to get the vibe from you. Were you there? Yeah, I was there. Okay, I was standing right there with Joel. So yeah, then you can hear a few of those videos. You can hear what he was saying a little better than maybe we were, and, and it's just because the balls are bouncing and guys are in the background. But the vibe from you listening to him talk is he in good spirits, and does he legitimately think he will play this year? He does seem like he's in good spirits. I mean, so when he, we, you know, we walked the way it works that, you know, we all sit in the media room and kind of wait till we're allowed to go into the courts and see the guys kind of ending practice and, you know, shooting or whatever. And Joel was, when we walked in, Joel was standing there with a basketball in his hands and a Sixer sweatsuit. I'm like, whoa, like, is this guy, what's, what's happening here? But um, clearly was not practicing, was not participating, but just looked like a guy who was eager to get back for sure. Uh, so I think the spirits are good. I think mostly he was positive. He was making jokes. He was having fun with us. Uh, you know, clearly he and the team are keeping everything close to the chest. But when you hear him talk, you hear some of his answers. This sounds like a guy who's going to be coming back and playing basketball for this team at some point. Um, I think I discussed it before, Mike. Like I, I get them not wanting to put a timeline on it because – if you put that timeline on it and he comes back later, everyone freaks out and says, well, why isn't he back when he's supposed to? If he comes back earlier, everyone says, well, why did you rush him back? So there's kind of a no win there. So I get kind of playing that close to the chest. But yeah, from from his answers, he's I mean, he specifically said the plan is for him to return this year. And some of his answers really sounded like a guy who, who plans to play basketball again this season. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, he's watching the games, and he said just watching these games has really made him want to play. And is that because he sees, like, this is a question we were talking about yesterday. I want to get your opinion on this, Paul. Is the team last year with Harden and P.J. Tucker and that group, do you think they had a better shot with that team than this team? Because I, I, yeah, I, the caveat yeah. to that is, no Joel Embiid last year. They're still a competitive team, eleven and five. This year, Joel Embiid's out. They're a disaster, seven and seventeen. So those numbers say last year's team was more equipped without Joel, and this team is so Joel dependent. So does that mean last year's team was better than this year, or do we think this year's team actually has a better shot, even though without Joel they're worse? Yeah, I, you know, it was, it was telling that recently Daryl Morey had a quote, and it was something along the lines of, just to like paraphrase, is like, this team, more than ever right now, is built around Joel Embiid. So when Joel Embiid doesn't play, this is what happens. Last year, I thought they were for sure built around Joel Embiid, but they were also built around James Harden, so I think that um, helps as well. I think, too, if you're looking at it, you know, last year you had James Harden and you had Tyrese Maxey, right? When they were when when Joel Embiid was out. This year you have Tyrese Maxey and you kind of don't have like Tobias Harris. Just frankly, is is not playing well. Uh, he's been very bad, uh, you know, recently. So when you're not getting another guy stepping up other than Tyrese, I think that's a big part here. I think if Tobias Harris was just playing like okay basketball. They, they might be in more of these games. So I think that's a pretty big caveat there too. Like he was actually, Tobias was good last year. 
when it beat and historically has been good when a beat has been out of the lineup. This year, it just has not been the case for whatever reason, whether it's an injury thing, whether it's a confidence thing, whether it's a, you know, not feeling like he fits under Nick. I don't, I don't know what it is, but he's just not playing as well. But I, I would say it, it, it's so hard, Mike, because I think the other factor is the head coach. I mean, I, Nick Nurse is a better coach than Doc Rivers. So I'm just going to come out and say that. Um, so not only are you talking about the roster, but you're talking about the coach. If Joel Embiid is healthy, this has a chance to be a better team because you have a better version of Joel Embiid than the one last year. Uh, you have a much better version of Tyrese Maxey than you did last year. Uh, you know, a, a guy like Buddy Heald, they didn't have a shooter like that on the roster last season that could just knock down 40% taking 10 a game. Like, they didn't have a guy like that last year that could do that. Um, uh, you know, guy, Nico Batum, I would say, is a better version of a P.J. Tucker, kind of that glue guy, does a little bit of everything. Kyle, they, again, they didn't have a guy like a Kyle Lauer either coming off the bench. So, uh, in some ways, uh, I think they might be better now. But uh, it's hard to argue with the kind of results and, and what we've seen. Um, and especially, again, when, when the top-tier guys, it's James Harden and Tyrese Maxey. So now this year, it's just Tyrese Maxey. Um, Paul Hudrick from Liberty Ballers covers the Sixers. Uh, and, and beat, you know, he said he wouldn't change anything uh, about it. But I thought it was interesting that he did say that his knee had been bothering him for two months and that he was never full strength. And yet this is the year we've gotten from him. So it kind of makes you, if you hear that and you think he's going to come back and he can be healthy, what more can he do that he couldn't do that he said I wasn't myself? Yeah, it's he scored 70 points uh, in a game where he wasn't himself. So, yeah, and I think... I think there's two things to that. One, I do think there are things he thinks he can be better at. One of those being, um, you know, the way he has fit in with with Nick Nurse's scheme and, and the offense and the way they've moved the basketball so well and the way that he has been, you know, really improved as a playmaker. I think he maybe believes he could even elevate that another level, uh, especially, with, again, when you add a guy like a Buddy Heel to the mix and how much that's going to help him space the floor and you know what that kind of two-man game can do so i think that's maybe what he's speaking of and the other part of it is i think joel Embiid is just a super confident guy like he he's never as much as people you know say whatever you want about him every year especially recently he has come back a little bit better with a little bit something added to his game every season so i think that's where that comes from too it's just a confidence that he believes that, you know, the last, whatever, three or four years, he has added something to his game and taken it up another level. He believes he could do it again. And look, he was playing as crazy as it is coming off of an MVP year. He was even better uh, to start this season. So uh, it, it's not crazy to think that, you know, maybe, or maybe it is crazy to think that he can be better, uh, but him believing it doesn't surprise me at all. All right, Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers. Um, now this team, the other night, it's a weird game. They're out of it. They climb back in, they fall, you know, they, the first half, I should say, they fight hard, then they fall out of it, they climb back in, but they climb back in with guys that I don't know what to think about. Campaign hits a couple threes, Ricky Council's giving you 16 points in 19 minutes, or do I have that reverse? Was it 19? Whatever it was. No, you got it right, yeah. So, I mean, right. are Campaign and Ricky Council in the rotation? Should they be in the rotation? Were they just getting the white flag minutes and happened to bring the team back? What do you make of the the job Nurse is kind of stuck doing right now without Joel? Because, you know, they said it during the broadcast. Now, they weren't playing five guards. He's like, well, Nurse will play three at time, but he's got five out there. He had Ubre and Harris, which essentially, you know, you got five guys under 6'10 on the floor. So I feel like Nurse is in a really 
tough spot trying to figure out some rotations and then what to make of the minutes the guys are getting. Like, what do I make a campaign coming out and give me good minutes? Do you see him as a rotational player? I, I think he's in a tough spot is what I'm getting at here. For sure, and it's because it's not just Joel Embiid, right? I mean, that you know, Nick Batum is just getting back. Kyle Lowry is 37 years old and hadn't played basketball in a month. Uh, now it looks like De'Anthony Melton is going to miss more time. I mean, who knows? Quite frankly, at this point, who knows if if De'Anthony Melton's going to be back now? Um, you know, leaving that game and still having that back issue. Nick Nurse said today he's out, and they don't know when he'll be back. You know, so that that leaves a pretty big cloud over the team. I, I would put it like this, Mike. Um, Campaign's a pretty good player. Like he's not a he's not a bad player at all. Uh, if you watched that Phoenix Suns team a few years ago that went to the finals, he was a big part of that team off that bench. He's a pretty good player. He is a point guard, um, which is something maybe around these parts we're not so used to seeing, right? Like a prototypical pure point guard. And I think he's got a little bit of that to him. Uh, you know, decent shooter. I mean, I think this year he's over 40% from three. Uh, pretty decent finisher around the rim. Pretty crafty. You know, defensively, it's gonna he's going to be a little bit of a liability, but he does compete at least. He's tough, and he'll, he'll fight on that end. So, I mean, I, I think he could be, especially with with DeAnthony Melton going down, um, certainly has a chance to be a rotation player. And I got to say, like, I, I love Ricky Council IV. I love his game. Uh, I, I loved him at Arkansas. I, I can't believe he went undrafted. I know the three ball is what teams were – we're scared of, and I get it. He, he's, it looks, it, it doesn't look good on top of the numbers bearing out that it's not good. But you look at a guy who is already at 22 years old, six six, an NBA frame, strong as anybody on the floor, ultra ultra athlete. Like he should be in the dunk contest next year. Like this guy can jump out of the out of the building. Unbelievable athlete. Um, has a you saw him cross up Al Horford the other night. Like he's got a little bit of a handle, and he's got a propensity. To, to draw free throws. Uh, he took, you know, he took four free throws the other night and he gave him the Sixers, I think as a team took like 12. So uh, I just think he's got a lot of stuff. A uh, good rebounder plays defense. Like he's got a lot of stuff that show me he's got NBA traits. He can be an NBA basketball player. Um, and, be, and, uh, and unlike other guys who, who are here that maybe couldn't shoot threes, he's going to attack the rim. He's going to get downhill. If, if teams give him space, he's going to eat that space. He's going to get to the rim and he's going to get fouled and he's going to accept being fouled and make his free throw. So um, I, I think council has a chance to be, maybe not this year, but I think he's got a chance to be a rotation player um, in the NBA going forward. Like the Sixers have a lot of uncertainty this off season, but that's a guy I would absolutely look to hold on to. Yeah, they uh, certainly, you know, that's the tough part. Like you're a team, their aspirations with Joel are to win a championship. And to fit a guy like that in at this stage of the season just seems to be a tough job. And then, you know, let's get to the Harris stuff because Joel said he talked to Tobias for like an hour today. Well, the new thing, I mean, everybody just wants to get him off the floor. You got to limit his minutes. You got to, I don't, as much as like I get frustrated with Tobias Harris, I got to be objective here. No NBA coach is sitting him, right? I mean, or. Or should they think about limiting his minutes and possibly sitting him all together or not starting him or changing his role? Yeah, I'm with you that I don't think any NBA coach would be sitting him right now. It's just this is the reality of the league and, and the message it kind of sends to the team and all that. And um, at this point, I, you know, if he did, if Nick Nurse did sit Tobias, I, I don't think anybody could blame him because he just really he's been. He's been hurting the team. I mean, it's just, like, to, to put it bluntly. And look, Tobias is a guy who 
plays through injuries. Um, he hides injuries. This is something he has done throughout his career here that I know for a fact he's had stuff going on and not told anyone or, you know, kept it into the locker room and all that. So, um, but my thing is, if, the, if he has come out, he has said, I am healthy. I'm not making excuses. My thing is, though, if someone on the team, whether that's Nick Nurse, whether it's the medical staff, whether it's his teammates, knows that he is not healthy and he is trying to play through this and this is all he has to give them right now, someone has to tell him that he has to sit down and get healthy because he's not helping them right now playing the way he's playing right now. If it's a confidence thing, that's a bigger concern because uh, to me, Mike, the way I've been describing it to people is Tobias Harris is maddening, right? Like he's a maddening player because he's so up and down, makes a lot of money, doesn't always live up to the, to the, to the money. But he is not an awful player. And quite frankly, he's been awful for, like, you know, going back, what, like five games now. He has just been flat out bad. Um, normally, it's like a disappearing act that everyone complains about. He's not disappearing. Uh, unfortunately, like, he's very much doing things. But again, it, it, he's not helping the team. Um, so I, I don't know what it, I don't know what has to happen. I don't know if he's, like I said, if it's an injury that he's kind of hiding, if it's a confidence issue. But something has to change in a hurry with Tobias. Harris because they need him to play like he has in the past without Joel Embiid because Tyrese Maxey, man, he just he, Tyrese Maxey needs help. Yeah, Harris certainly, and you're right. I mean, I said he signs that deal and everybody holds him to the deal. Fine, it's not his fault, but here's the problem. He has not improved offensively as a player since that deal. He has not worked on parts of his game to become a better player. He's a better defensive player, I think, from when he signed Much that better, deal. Yeah. But, yeah, the rest of his offense, I mean, watching him just try to put the ball on the floor is painful. Try to finish around the rim, I mean, it is painful to watch him, you know, just well, try to finish. He And to start the year, he was tremendous. So if you remember, finishing at the rim, everyone was kind of like, oh, wow, look at this. This, like, marked improvement on Tobias Harris. And it, it was. It wasn't a fluke or anything. Like, he was finishing. He was finishing through contact. He was finishing against tough opponents and tough, you know, tough defenders. But now... For whatever reason, again, if that's confidence, if it's mental, I don't know what it is, but he just, like you said, yeah. it seems like he has no chance when he goes up against up to the rim. Sixers, Hornets tomorrow night. That's one of the few winnable games, it feels like, man. They've got a brutal schedule coming up. I mean, yeah, there is some spots in it, but they got weird road trips and four gamers, one at home, three back on the road. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it all unfolds because right now, uh, the way the standings are kind of set up for this team, it looks like a play-in situation. Feels They are tied with Indiana. They're a half a game up on Orlando. They're six and a half up on the Bulls and seven up on the Hawks. But uh, it feels like you know seven, eight feels more likely than six, five, or four. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can still see them, uh, uh, you know, Again, if if Tobias Harris can get this figured out and just give them solid production, like nothing crazy, like he doesn't have to be a star, just be, just again, just be the guy you were before when when Joel Embiid was out of the lineup. If you could do that, if if Maxi can be Maxi, and then you just get the other guys, you know, just playing together and like figuring, like you know what I mean, like. And I thought the Boston game kind of belied some stuff because Boston's just so freaking good like it, it's hard to judge them off that but i thought they did a lot of positive things that you hadn't seen in previous games um so i think if they play like they did against boston if they play like that against certainly charlotte but then some of the other teams that they're playing that aren't you know they're good but not boston good um they're gonna be in a lot more games than i think they have 
All right, man. Paul Hudrick, Liberty Ballers, Friday night, Sixers, right here on 97.3 ESPN. And uh, the month of March will be here. We'll see what Joel Embiid's status is. We'll keep an eye on all that. Thanks, Paul. You got it, Mike. Uh, Paul Hudrick is uh, the Liberty Ballers editor. You can check him out at Paul Hudrick on Twitter X. And, of course, here on the Sports Bash as the Sixers season continues. Good to see Joel Embiid, though, talk today. Seemed like he was in good spirits. Positive news there. Coming up, Jeff Mosher has football at four from the Combine today. What are some of the things? I know the D-backs spoke today. Some of the guys that might be on the radar at number 22. We'll take a look at that. Plus, Nick's Nuggets all coming up here on the Sports Bash in the next hour. Plus, one more chance this hour for you to qualify for that trip to Baltimore to see the Phillies play the Orioles. We have the purse sitting in traffic. You come with me. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Live inside the Ocean Casino Resort Studio, it's the Sports Bass. This hour brought to you by Broadley's Plumbing, Heating, Air Conditioning. Broadley's your trusted source for heating and plumbing, service and installation for generations. Call them at 609-390-3907 or visit them at broadleys.net, bringing you the 3 o'clock hour of the Sports Bass. We thank Paul Hudrick for jumping on board. Good job out of Paul. A couple text messages, 609-403-0973. Uh, Phil says, Mike, I'd be happy with Trey Turner's career average numbers this year and hopefully for the following eight years, but much better defense. Also, Merrifield seems like an upgrade, great addition. Yeah, if you're getting Turner's career average numbers, I mean, 296, about uh, 20-something home runs, yeah, I mean, I think you're okay with that. But if you're looking at a $300 million guy, I don't think those are $300 million numbers. Again, I'm not bashing Turner. I'm not trying to be down on Turner. I just... You know, I think Turner got a little overpaid, and I hope people aren't holding him to that standard. That's all. Um, when you take a look at it from that perspective, a couple other things. Schwarber uh, struck out a bunch. That's why for the number three hole, we'd be less and slow uh, to get around the bases. Um, somebody else mentioned something about, um, oh, Somebody uh, texted in, Mike and EHT, said the reason the three-hole hitter had less runners in scoring position than the leadoff spot is because Schwarber was batting leadoff and hitting 175. Well, he didn't hit 175. But, Mike, that's not really accurate. Schwarber, his on-base percentage was third best on the team. Um, so he's on base more than almost anybody on the team other than Harper and Marsh. So you can't really say that the three-hole hitter had less runners in scoring position than the leadoff spot because Schwarber's batting average was so low. His on-base percentage is 340. So Mike said, yeah, because all of his home runs. All right, so you take his 46 home runs off, then, yeah, then Harper doesn't have those guys on base in front of him. But Schwarber's still on base a ton. He walked I mean, 130 times last year, something like that. So Harper and whoever's batting two, they have plenty of times where Schwarber's on base. And Schwarber doesn't come through every single time. So sometimes... All right, there you go. I didn't know that was coming, but it caught me off guard. But right now, I need caller 7, 609-403-0973. You prosper, caller 7. If you call right now, 609-573-3776, caller 7, you have a chance to qualify for that trip to Baltimore to see the Phillies 
and the Orioles at Camden Yards Father's Day weekend. 609-573-3776. Caller 7. It's all thanks to Philly Sports Trips. You'll get round-trip transportation, two lower-level tickets to the game, and a pregame tailgate party. And experiencing a Philly sports trip is like no other. We'll see you at Maynard's in Margate for our opening day Phillies watch party. 609-573-3776. Caller 7. Good luck. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Just hungry to bring back another Lombardi to Philly. Uh, it's, uh, the fans deserve it. Our team deserves it. Uh, culture begs for it. Now live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, this is Football at Four. Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It's brought to you by Bet365. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365, it is the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. Jeff Mosher and the crew from Inside the Birds, they are at the Combine, and uh, obviously that gets you ready for the NFL Draft. We'll take a look at some of the things that they're noticing uh, out there at the Draft. We'll get Mosher's take on some of the things that happened this week around the Eagles. Also, that uh, poll yesterday, I guess it was the NFLPA poll that had a strong um, support for one Nick Sirianni. The, the Eagles finished fourth overall as a organization for just about everything. When you look at uh, food and, and travel and how they handle things and, and all the stuff, the Eagles, uh, and this is, I want to get Jeff's take on how much do we put into the poll um, that was put out there yesterday because one of the things out there is, you know, that the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, Nick Sirianni, he got an A. So how much stock do we put into the answers these players gave? And if that's the case, is that a good sign moving forward that the Eagles made the right decision uh, with Nick Sirianni? And I think most people, I mean, look, there are some people out there that think that they should have moved on. He's a lame duck coach. And there's other people that I think understand that Nick has done a pretty good job. But the fact that the NFLPA player poll uh, suggests that the Eagles head coach, they liked him. They gave him an A. I want to bring Jeff Mosher from uh, Inside the Birds podcast in. We'll talk about that. He's at the Combine and many more. But what does that say to you, Jeff, uh, that the players, the Eagles, said, no, our head coach is an A. It Does it sound like uh, that there's overwhelming support for Nick? I think I think there's a couple ways to interpret it, Mike. Um, obviously, all positive. You got an A, right? But I, what I would like to know, and, and I haven't had a whole amount of time to research it or read up more on it, is what was the criteria that they were supposed to judge the grading on? Uh, is it competence, meaning X's and O's, um, or you know, just your overall football acumen, or was this like the rest of the poll and more of an, an environmental? Uh, judgment as far as like do you treat guys well are you the best intentions for your players so i would like to know that because to me it's a that's an important distinction um and then also it would be important to know when were the final tallies due by because obviously the eagles had a very top heavy season compared to the last six weeks but if the voting was already done before or the not the voting but the judging marking was done before 
the last six weeks, would that have been different? And then also, whenever you get into these player polls, you do wonder, did everybody take it seriously or were, were guys just checking off A, B, A, B, which we sometimes see with um, like top 100 voting or poll voting and things like that. But I do think, obviously, it speaks well. Uh, but I, I did read that the Browns, I think, got really bad grades on, on coaching, and they were in the playoffs and won 11 games. So I, that's an interesting juxtaposition to me. Um, are you being judged on how good of a coach you are or just how well you treat your players? Yeah, well, 100% of the players felt that Nick Sirianni is efficient with their time. They ranked first overall in that aspect. And also the players felt that he is very willing to listen to the locker room. He finished seventh overall when it came to that, which is interesting because we had that quote the other day in the Marcus Hayes piece that said that players get treated differently if you're like a younger player, if you're new to the team. So it says in this voting anyway that Sirianni's very willing to listen to the locker room and that he's very efficient with the time i mean that doesn't surprise us at all and it shouldn't right we, we've had a lot of conversations about this what is one of the reasons that a very awkward and clunky defensive coordinator change play caller change was made in the middle of the year well that's because there were players speaking up about their issues with play calling or just in general defensive staff communication there so, yes, he listened to his players. Now, that goes back to the confidence part. Did that work? <laughs> it did not. So um, I do. I think in the grand scheme of things, it is very important that he is known as a guy who listens to his players, especially because when the Eagles hire head coaches, what do they hire for? Do they hire for scheme or do they hire for um, a captain of a ship type of person? B. It's always been B. They don't hire – because a guy comes in here and is known for being a Shanahan-like or McVay-like wizard. So that's what he was hired to be, and he has been that guy, and his players appreciate it and support it and gave him high marks. I, I, I just stopped short of trying to take any of these grades for any of these teams and then trying to maybe extrapolate that or say, well, what does that mean in terms of success on the field? I, I, that, there's a danger there. Um, that I don't want to like make that direct link because I think again there are some really good teams on the field, right? Wins and losses that did not score highly uh, in some of these categories. So you just never really know what to make of that. All right, Jeff Mosher, football that's is all for people care about, right? I mean, my God, I'm interrupt, but that that's all people really care about, right? Is is the team going to win or lose? Not. Well, it's, I mean, culture is important, but not how you feel about being treated and time efficiency. I mean, people might argue that. Of course you got a high marks and time efficiency. Who practices less and gives their players more time than the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah. Well, and I thought it was interesting, like Jeffrey Lurie, he gets good grades, whereas uh, Hunt wins the Super Bowl and he was last. Great. That's my point exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like That was a little perplexing to me. I always thought the Hunts were well-respected and it was just well-run, even when they weren't the best organization. And now you're saying, well, the players, uh, they're voting him as, as the last. So you're right. Got to take with a grain of salt there. Um, were you surprised? Nick Sirianni, I don't know if he went out of his way, but the way he worded it was the reason I hired Kellen Moore, um, I guess everybody just assumes that, Roseman and Lori have a lot to do with that, but do you think that Kellen Moore was a Nick Sirianni hire? Um, I mean, I don't think it was 
I don't think Nick had no part in it, but you know, obviously, Hallie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie interviewed uh, Kellen Moore, what the same year that they interviewed Dick Sirianni and others for the head coaching job, right? So you can draw the that's there yourself. <laughs> it was not. Just, I, I can't imagine that it was only Nick and Nick only's idea uh, to talk to to Kellen Moore about the job. So when Sirianni talks about marrying these two schemes together. Um, one of the things I want to kind of get from you is what is stuff that Moore does that Sirianni didn't do that they need to add to this offense? Like, what are some of the things that Sirianni's offense lacked that Moore can add? It's a great question. We talked about it a little bit. We can expand on it. I will just say that we've all been to, like, people change sometimes and they adapt to their environment. You know, Big Fangio is a good example, too. We're going to talk about Kellen Moore, but Vic Fangio, people think of the Fangio scheme and its quarters coverage and zone and zone. If you go look, he actually played a decent number, a decent amount of man coverage last year in Miami and probably pressured more than he's done in the past, probably adapting to his personnel. So I don't want to sit here and say, here's what Kellen Moore is going to do in Philadelphia because he did it in Dallas and he did it in L.A. Uh, and say so that means it's definitely going to happen here in Philadelphia. But what I can tell you is that while he's been – an offensive coach. His teams have been very motion-heavy, very shift-heavy. Uh, a guy who goes under center um, and runs the ball from under center, which those three things right there that I just said are not things you would commonly associate with Nick Sirianni's offense. And Nick Sirianni is... Obviously, they, they've created an offense that is a little bit more schematically heavy uh, in Philadelphia than what he did in Indianapolis when he didn't have him a quarterback like Jalen Hurts, but when he was in Indianapolis coming up under Frank Reich and before that in L.A. and been with Todd Haley, you know, Nick Sirianni was, was mostly a West Coast offense type of guy, but Kellen Moore, not really as much. Kellen in, inherited some, or learned some of those concepts under Mike McCarthy, but he has always been a spread offense, uh, somewhat of an Eric Coriel vertical routes guy too. So to get to what you're saying, like the marriage of the two philosophies is an interesting choice of words from Nick Sirianni because you're not exactly marrying two offenses that have a whole lot of common. When we think of marrying our significant others, we think, oh, you have the same core values as me. We're in love. Let's get married, right? This is different. So um, you wonder how much quote-unquote marrying is going on, or is it like Kellen gets to run the offense, oh, but let's get the tush-push in there because that's worked for us. Yeah, the uh, you're wondering uh... – is that something that's going to stay or go? I would imagine that stays. Now, how much does, if Kelsey returns, how much is his role in the success of the tush push? I guess we'll find out whether or not Kelsey comes back if they keep that thing uh, in there. Um, you're at the Combine, which is a time where a lot of people are around, GMs, coaches, a lot of buzz. But one of the big buzz is about Hassan Reddick. So uh, both Roseman and Sirianni talked about it on Tuesday they didn't really give an answer, but is there any talk about what kind of interest there is going to be in Reddick? And as you're watching, um, you know, draft possibles out there. I saw a mock draft yesterday that had the Eagles taking an edge rusher at number 22, which uh, kind of adds fuel to the Reddick being moved uh, fire, I guess. It does. It does, but it doesn't. I mean, no matter what, um, you know, if Hassan Reddick's on the team, it's the last year of his deal anyway. So and the Eagles always draft for the future. And if you're looking beyond next year 
at defensive end, who are you looking at? You're, you're looking at, you know, Hassan Reddick entering free agency, Josh Sweat maybe being on the last year of that extension, or maybe even himself being close to free agency, Brandon Graham, is he going to be back two years from now? So really they have Nolan Smith, right, um, as, as their youngest building block at edge rusher and not too much after that. So, I, you know, knowing the Eagles' history of drafting early, drafting in advance, to me it's not – it's not a cause and effect that whoever you saw got mocked to the U. Is it was it the UCLA kid? I assume. Yeah. Late too? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, I didn't even know. I haven't even seen it. I'm just guessing. Um, I, that that doesn't surprise me because it's more to me about whoever did that mock draft understanding the positional value. Uh, in where the Eagles are crafting and what they historically do in the first round. Yeah, that was a uh, the latest Mel Kuyper mock draft that came out yesterday. Um, they did go edge rusher there, UCLA. Um, you know, and a guy who has a medical rich a medical um, ne- will need a medical clearance. It, it will probably be uh, an issue for him. He had some neck issues, similar to like DK Metcalf. So that would be something there. So uh, you're at the combine. I know the corners uh, today. I mean, that's a spot that everybody's kind of taking a look at. And, and James Bradbury came up the other day. And I don't know. Were you surprised as how matter of fact Roseman seemed to be with Bradbury? I mean, he didn't even like. You know, hey, you know, well, he, he was a he, he signed. He's in our plans. Yeah, I was yes and no because I, it's not that I expect him to um, forecast what he's going to do in that situation. And I, I remember being here, gosh, I guess it was 10, 11 years ago now when Namdi was in the same situation. You know, coming off a bad year, had a lot of money still left, and the word, you know, it was it was sort of like the same thing. Oh no, Namdi's you know under contract, and then. Literally, like eight hours later, Namdi had been released. So, so it's a, you never know what to make from it. But it is interesting when you sort of compare it to how he talked about um, Hassan Reddick, right? Where ordinarily you would hear how he probably say, "Oh, hey, Hassan's under contract. We're happy to have him. You know, if someone's going to blow us away, sure, we'll, we'll, we would take an offer. But we would do that for anybody." That's kind of his standard way of talking about this. But he did not. He and Nick were sort of very vague on it. So um, it's weird that they were vague on a guy who like Hassan Reddick, but maybe a little bit more so on James Bradbury. Yeah, Bradbury, uh, who obviously uh, has a signed deal, and if they moved him, he would have a lot of dead money. Uh, and that goes to, you know, does Bradbury fit in better in this defense? Everyone just assumes, well, uh, Fangio runs the same defense as Desai, who runs the same defense as Gannon. Is that fair or unfair? Um, probably not fair. You know, we've always said that the Fangio defense and its disciples, they all do things a little bit differently. They all put their own fingerprints on it. Um, it's not just the how you align thing. It's also your play calling, your safety rotation, your match carry deliver system. And not everybody does it the exact same way. So, um, I mean, it's fair to say you're going to see, you should see similar components, like a five man front, right? Um, a lot of quarters coverage, a lot of two deep that turns into one deep uh, post-snap, pre-snap. Yeah, that those are staples of of a Fangio concept defense, but everybody kind of adds their own twist on it because you, you saw that what Gannon did and what Sean Desai did were very different, and they're both quote-unquote Fangio uh, concept guys. But I thought Desai played a whole, like a whole litany of different styles of coverages uh, on back-to-back-to-back-to-back snaps than, say, Jonathan Gannon. 
All right. Uh, so anything uh, at the Combine that kind of has caught your attention or your eyes? You guys have been out there all week long, all three of you, getting stuff, uh, kind of uncovering people, talking to people. Uh, any, If you were doing your Peter King Monday morning quarterback and emptying your notebook here, uh, anything kind of stand out while you've been out there? Uh, a couple of things, you know, and again, I'm, if I'm going to do that, I got to, you know, we'll talk, what well, again, um, next Monday, it'll probably be a little easier because I'll have decompressed a little bit from yeah. here. And then also, like, as we're talking right now, I mean, I just had a few chats with a couple of agents who had multiple meetings left today, right, um, including some with the Eagles. So it's like until those happen and until there's more talk and then I follow up, uh, don't get a lot. But I tell you one thing I came across and talked about it on the pod um, that came out this morning with Adam Kaplan. Uh, the Eagles made a running back addition um, in Lou Nichols. You know, I think he was signed to their practice squad at the end of the year last year or something like that and um, brought back. And he's a guy, he's a big guy, but he's also got some juice to him. And they, they liked him. They liked Lou Nichols. And they, he was a guy that whenever he came out of, and I can't remember at the moment what college he came out of, but um, he was someone who was on their radar. So it's easier to sometimes look at these guys as, you know, you're on the practice squad, you're just a camp body, like you're, you're Kennedy Brooks from a, a few years ago out of Oklahoma, you're never going to get a shot. But, you know, right now the Eagles only have a couple of guys under contract at that position. It's Kenny Gainwell, it's the kid that just picked up from San Francisco, Ty Davis-Price, and Lou Nichols. Um, but I, he'll be a, kind of a fun guy to watch in OTAs, and of course in the preseason they'll probably get – a lot of carries and and um, you know I was just kind of surprised to hear that he was got some juice and probably should look at him as more than just a body. Yeah. Well, well like, let's see what they do. I mean, they they can do if they add two running backs here in free agency or the draft, then maybe that changes the conversation. But I just you know I thought I just thought that was an interesting nugget. Lou Nichols, by the way, uh, Central Michigan. Is that a Chippewa? Oh, I thought that was Western. Uh, I'm bad with my Michigan. I know, Central Michigan, Michigan, not a hundred. I'm just guessing Chippewa because you got all those uh, Eastern Michigans, Western Michigans. He is a uh, Central Michigan. Josh tells me it is, in fact, the Chippewas. He was uh, a seventh-round pick. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, He he was a seventh-round pick by the Packers. Uh, big guy, uh, you know, 5'10", 220 pounds. Mac Offensive yeah. Player of the Year was the Offensive Freshman of the Year. So sometimes there's these guys that no one ever heard of. I'm sure there's a lot of running backs in this league that no one ever heard of, and you're like, where did this guy come from? Like if I said to people, you know, where did Tony Pollard go to college? Do you remember his college career at all? You know, there's yeah, tons yeah, of I know he went to Memphis, but, yeah, nobody else would know. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, unless you're a hardcore college football fan, like some of these guys who play running back in this league are just – and that's part of the thing, though. Like you ask a guy yeah. out in, you know, in Denver where Isaiah Pacheco went to school, they probably never heard of the guy in college you know he it was a part right so running back is one of these guys that you can find a guy and just kind of plug and play i'll ask you this if i was to give you who which running back would have the most carries is it kenny gainwell or somebody not on the current roster Somebody not on the current roster. That's your guess. You would say someone that's not here right now will lead the team in touches next year yeah. Now, I don't – I mean, this thing could be like, to your point, it could be like 33% that person, 32% gained well, yeah. and then another 20-some-odd percent of whoever's next or, or split between two other guys. Because I, do, I don't want to dismiss how much they do like Gainwell and how because he is a good 
pass protector. He's always the one who's out there in the four-minute drill, the two-minute drill. Um, so he does have value in the team in his last year. Is Boston Scott back on the team? Working on that one. All right. Well, come back Monday for Football at Four with Jeff Mosher. Check out the Inside the Birds podcast. And, of course, uh, you can download that, on all, download that on all podcasting platforms and check out their YouTube social media. Uh, just search Inside the Birds. Jeff Mosher. All right, buddy. Thanks. You got it. Take care, buddy. All right. Good stuff on Football at Four today on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I like that. Boston Scott, will he be on the team next year? He says, I'm working on that one. So, obviously, has some uh, some touch, uh, some connections, I should say, to uh, Boston Scott that he can uh, try to find out some more. You know, Boston Scott was the highest-paid running back on the roster last year. And I guess I would ask, you know, do the Eagles want to make him the highest-paid running back again if he's barely going to play? That's the problem is you have a guy who's – now, they don't spend a lot of money at that position – but the one guy you did spend money on, and I don't want to say you did spend money. I mean, they spent like $1.5 million. I mean, they didn't really spend any money, so that's not really fair to rip them, which I'm not. I'm just saying the guy who was the highest paid player at that position, you didn't use at all. So would Boston Scott be another uh, player that you just bring back because you feel warm and fuzzy that he can kind of do something if absolutely break glass if needed? I've always been in the camp that Boston Scott should have had a bigger role and that they haven't used him enough, but that's just me. I love, um, see, this time of the year where free agency's coming up, Tim McManus over at ESPN.com gave five free agent offensive players that the Eagles should target. We'll take a look at that list a little bit later on. But the five guys on that list, I would say one of them I've mentioned before the other one that is on that list I think is interesting. I don't know that I've mentioned him on the show, but we've talked about him in other places about uh, him being an interesting guy. The third guy I have not thought about and didn't know he was a free agent, he would be interesting. Um, and I'll leave it at that. Go check back in at 5 o'clock tonight. Uh, when we come back, Nicky Earnshaw is here with another edition of Nick's Nuggets. Find out what's on Nick's. How many uh, nuggets he's got today for this edition of Nick's Nuggets? It's coming up next. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. 430 Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Thanks to Jeff Mosher for football at four. Good stuff there. Adam's here tomorrow for uh, football at four. Nick's Nuggets are here. He's here with a look at some of the big topics that are happening, what's going on. Nicky Earnshaw, of course, you can check out his podcast, The Shift, and uh, Weekends in the Locker Room here on 97.3 ESPN. What's up, Nick? What's going on, Mike? How are you today? I'm uh, doing all right, man. It's one of those things. You know, you had no Phillies or Flyers. I mean, no Sixers or Flyers last night. No Sixers right. or Flyers again tonight. Phillies, you know, they play these day games. So it's another cold, quiet night in the Philly sports scene. It is, it is. But, you know, we started off today a little rocky, and I, I got a four-piece for you today. I hope you brought your barbecue sauce, all that with you today, because I got to start with Dollar Dog Nights. You know I was coming with this first. No more Dollar Dog Nights for the Philadelphia Phillies. I am just baffled at this decision. It makes me sick. Um, they, they come out today. We'll go. It's a buy one, get one yep. free deal. Uh, so I read your article. 
article on 97.3 ESPN, Mike. And you did a little math. I can't do math, so I'm glad you did it for us. Uh, 250 per hot dog on these BOGO nights is going to be the price now. So inflation's hitting us everywhere. It's, it's taking away our dollar dog nights. Um, the Phillies tried blaming this on some of the actions last year, the hot dogs being thrown away. I, I got to get your opinion on this because I am very upset. This, yeah. this really affected me for all sure. Right. So this is a business decision, essentially. A dollar dog night, people are buying all these dollar dogs, and they figure, you know what? We can make it a buy one, get one free that makes you feel like you're getting a free hot dog. So instead of getting dollar dog, you buy two dogs for $2. Now you're getting two dogs for $5. This is a business decision. They're making it a promotion that sounds like you're getting something while making more money for it. It's essentially dollar dog night, but for more money. They don't want to charge a dollar for the dog anymore. So they're just upping the price in hopes that, I would imagine that most people went to the window and probably bought two dogs. Here's two bucks. Give me two dogs, maybe four dogs. Well, now if you buy four dogs, you're getting $10 as opposed to $4. So it seems like this is a business decision because in the end, you're walking away in your mind with two free hot dogs. And even though you've paid substantially more than you did for those hot dogs on the same night the year before. Do you see all the loops you just made? All the loops and, and, and going through all of that. There was a lot to get to the point. I No, we just got to go back to Dollar Dog. Well, listen, I understand it's here's a the thing, decision. Nick. Here's Ugh. the thing. Like, they're saying people threw the hot dogs on the field yeah. and that the lines were really long. Well, you're not eliminating the possibility of any of these things happening. So it goes back to... This was a business decision. We can make more money by telling people they're getting a free hot dog. See, I think I think it, it happened back in the past, too. I, I think like 10 or 15 years ago, they threw hot dogs. It happened before. And what they could do is they could bring cash back to get the lines moving quicker. What you're, what you, the problem you're having is that uh, you're going up with your card. Everyone's got to put their pin in. It takes it's a longer process when you're using your card. If you just had a couple of bucks, you'd be able to get the lines moving. I, I get the throwing. You had a couple of bad apples. It shouldn't hurt it for everybody else. That's where I'm at. And I, it's it. I, I'm just not on board with this. We got to bring the dollar dogs back. Maybe we're being punished for a year. Maybe they'll come back next year. I, I don't was, know. I, I've never been to a dollar dog night, so that's oh, number that's one. Fantastic. Number two, I'm certainly not waiting in the line. For a dollar dog. Like, I don't know how many times I've actually ordered, you know, like a hot dog at a baseball game. Like, you would think it goes hand in hand, but those things are, like, boiled in, like, dirty water. I don't want one of those dogs. <laughs> They're good. Uh, yeah, That's I mean, a hot dog's a hot dog. I mean, it's good. But, like, still, like, the thought of, like, those hot dogs just boiling in the water and then just, like, you know, here's your dog. Like, I don't need dollar dog night, but I certainly understand the uh, fascination with it. 27 years the dollar dog existed. It's a long time. It's a long, long time. And see, you just got to know going in, you're going to pay for it later. You just got to know, Mike. Like going into <laughs> it, you're going to pay for it later with what they're cooked. I just, you're going to like, you're going to know you're going to pay for it later. All right. Nugget number two. Uh, we got to get back to this conversation with the Phillies and who's leading off. Uh, you. Uh, myself, Billy Schwime, who's a host of the locker room on the weekends, I'd produce. We've been getting into this argument in this group chat, right? All right, we've had this group chat going uh, since we, we the spring training started, and I got to get back into who leads off. And I am on the Schwarber train all of the way. I don't think this should be a discussion. 
And I found a little stuff for you, a little nugget that I wanted to bring on today is that his OPS, according to The Athletic, uh, in games that he let off is over 1,000, 1,056 to be exact. That is the highest OPS for the first batter of the game in Philly's franchise history. And the Phillies have been around since 19, or excuse me, 1883. We got to have Schwarber in the leadoff spot. And I don't want to hear any Turner noise. I don't want to hear any Bryson Stott noise. Schwarber's the leadoff man. Yeah, so the Schwarber leadoff thing will be polarizing because, well, it'll be polarizing for the older crowd, right? They grew yep. up in a time and an era where they were told what every spot in the order is supposed to be and look like. You know, the number one guy has to have speed, and he gets on base. The number two guy lays down the bunt, and the first guy has the speed to get run over. Or the number two guy hits the ball the other way, he hits behind the runner. The number three hole hitter has always been the best hitter on the team. The number four hole hitter is the guy who has the most power. And then the number five guy is the next guy who has the most power. And then six, seven, eight, and nine are kind of like you just progressively put them in order of who's the next like four best guys. So the top five guys in the order have always had throughout life, you know, for most of these old heads, have had some sort of way they're supposed to look, way they're supposed to hit and produce. Well, that has all gone out the window as the game has completely changed the numbers bear for Schwarber wins and losses. That's the thing. For the old get-off-my-lawn guy, you should think wins and losses for that guy is the most uh, important stat. And the win and loss stat with Schwarber in the leadoff hole, we looked at this earlier today, uh, their numbers, when he leads off the game, they win 59 or 57% of the time. When he doesn't lead off the game, uh, they win about 40% of the time. So the numbers suggest that he is their best option. And there was another thing. Somebody tweeted this out, is that Schwarber in the leadoff hole, he got 33 extra at-bats, which is the equivalent of like seven right. games worth of extra at-bats. And he actually hit with more runners on base in the one hole than the three-hole hitter did for the Phillies. So everybody who says you got to put Schwarber in the middle of the lineup, he'll drive in even more runs, doesn't sound true because he actually had more runners on base as the number one-hole hitter than he than the number three-hole to hit hole hitter had last year. Yeah, exactly. I, I think you hit on every point there. Like this is someone who's going to walk a lot when when he starts to get up up to bat. Right when he's the first guy, he walks a lot. I don't care about the batting average. He doesn't need to hit singles. He doesn't need to hit doubles to lead off. And you mentioned uh, that he gets a lot more at bats. He had thirty three more at bats last year. Um, that is huge. So when you have a guy who can hit forty plus home runs, who's getting more abs, more opportunities. Um, to hit a home run with runners on in the middle of the game because you can't just look at it, all right, the start of the game, first inning. You have to look at it in the middle of the game. He's going to be the guy that's first up and coming around in the order in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning. He's going to be coming around every single time. So I like him there. You keep him there. He's going to have the most at-bats. And that's a guy I, I think you want at the top of your lineup, especially if you could start off a game with a home run. That's fantastic, too. He can walk. Um, I, I just think right now he, he's the guy. It doesn't make sense in the traditional sense of baseball where you want a guy who's speedy, who gets on base a lot, who gets a lot of singles. All right, I get it. But this guy can also put you up one nothing to start a game. Too. Well, I also think one of the things with the Phillies, two years ago when they made the decision to put Schwarber there, they didn't have a, another choice. There was not really a leadoff right. guy on this team. 
Now they have two guys on this team who have more experience hitting leadoff than any other spot in the order. Merrifield has hit leadoff more than any other spot, and Turner has also hit leadoff more than any other spot, and that's with barely hitting leadoff you know, at all last year. Turner still has hit leadoff more than any other spot in the lineup in his career. So you do have other options. But when they made the move to Schwarber two years ago, they did not have another option. Well, guess what? He took off, and they got to the playoffs, and then went to the World Series. So it wasn't like, what dummies are hitting this guy leadoff? They took him to the World Series. So, of course, he's going to say, let's – now, you would say, well, they didn't start him in the leadoff hole last year. They also didn't have Bryce Harper when the season started. I wonder if Harper would have been here at the start of last year, would Schwarber have let off to start the year, or would they have tried Turner? Because here's the problem with Schwarber not leading off. With Harper hitting third, Schwarber and Harper both left-handed. You can't bat them back-to-back. So you have to have some buffer between them. So lead off somebody, then Harper. If you don't bat him lead off, now you're moving Schwarber down to like the five spot in the order, and now he's losing some at-bats, and that's one of your most productive hitters. Right, and if you look at it, so like after Harper came back, from June 2nd on, they were 65-41 and 41. Uh, in games that he was leading off and Schwarber was leading off. So, like, he, they win. Like, that should be the number one goal. They win with him in the order. If it doesn't make sense to you, I'm sorry, but they're winning games with him at number one, leading off. He's getting more at-bats. He has that pop. So, I got to have Schwarber leading off. I hope they do that to start the season uh, throughout this year. All right. All right. Nugget number three. I got to go back to basketball and Josh Harris. I, Josh Harris is now the owner of the Washington Commanders, and now he's sitting in combine meetings, sitting in on quarterback interviews with the commanders, uh, taking kind of a hands-on approach with this with his new football team, his new jewel, crown jewel down in Washington, where he's, you know, I think he's from Maryland. So, you know, I, I'm sure he grew up a Washington fan. So I just got to ask, Mike, what about the Sixers? What about the Sixers? What is he, a part-time owner now? He's a part-time owner in Philadelphia. He's down in, in Washington. He's at the Combine. I, I feel like I haven't seen Josh Harris at, at tons of events for the Sixers. He's, he's, he's in interviews now trying to fa- find the face of his franchise. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I've had enough of the part-time owner here. Well, I mean, this started, you know, we bought the Devils, and that was mm-hmm. the first part yep. of this, and then he goes and gets Washington now. That's the new toy, so he's trying to get that mm-hmm. off the ground. And you're in this, like, new honeymoon phase where you've got everything new. You want to make sure. The Sixers, to him, are the well-oiled machine. He's got the pieces there. I hired Daryl Morey. He's a veteran executive there. And I think he looked at it like, hey, I've got my guys there. But you're right. I mean, how important is it, do we feel, to have ownership? Now, do you look at it and say it's good that he's not so hands-on? That they don't have the guy sitting next to the coach every – I mean, you, when you watch the games, Josh Harris, he generally sits four seats down from the head coach. I mean, I, if I'm coaching the team, I don't want the owner sitting right behind me. So this might actually be a good thing that he's kind of getting away from the team here. I I guess to an extent maybe there he's leaving them to do what they want. I don't know. Does he have the guy in Daryl Morey? I just saw I think recently on Dwayne Wade's podcast, Chris Paul is having some comments that Daryl Morey doesn't know how to talk to people, stuff like that, and the dumpster fires that they've had to put out here in Philadelphia. Like the yeah. tenure with Josh Harris hasn't been all uh, sunshine and rainbows. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, does he want to try and change that with the Commanders and be like a more hands-on owner? 
and be more involved and try and make it more sunshine down there because it hasn't been. Um, but with the Sixers, during his tenure, it just hasn't been great. And, and now it feels like he's just kind of pushing them to well, the side. I, I would say this. I, no, I would say I the Sixers during his tenure, they have turned into one of the most exciting. Um, they're on national television more business than anything. Wise. Business wise. Business wise, yes, wise, I yes. will say. Right, but business on the court, basketball wise, Eh. Well, I mean, they've been a winning team, and they have been yeah. a legitimate championship contender. Where their problems have been is in everything else. Like, when a guy gets hurt, the messaging is just all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, the draft, they have missed on guys, you know. But this was a lot, like, because they had so many problems, like post Hinky over to Colangelo, and then Brett Brown, and then Brand. Like, they've had so many different voices running that yep. franchise. But... They've been a consistent winner. The problem has been they haven't been able to get to that next level. Is that because of the ownership group? Eh, I don't know about that, but they've made a ton of mistakes, and they make a ton of messaging mistakes. That's been a big problem for them is, all right, Joel's hurt, but then well, we'll kick the can down the road in four weeks there and this, that, and they just don't do a great job of that stuff. Yep, I, I totally agree. All right, we'll see what happens with the part-time owner when playoff times come around. <laughs> all right. Nugget number four, our final nugget. All right, little non-sports here. Today's Leap Day. It's February 29th, and I've been having this debate all day. So if your birthday, if you know anyone that has a birthday on Leap Day, February 29th, which day are you going to celebrate your birthday the other three years, March 1st or February 28th? I got to go the 28th. It's your birth month. You still got to celebrate it. Mike Gill, what do you say? That's a good question. I never thought of that before. I guess you may do about where, like... Like this week, like this year, for instance, um, if you there was no 29th, then right. today would be March 1st. So I guess you would say, like, you want to try to get it as close to the weekend, I would guess, as possible. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, yeah. if, if March 1st was on a Friday or Saturday night, you'd probably go with that. Like, let's say it was, like, next year. The 28th would be on Thursday, and the 1st would be on Friday. Okay. You would want to celebrate it on the Friday, not the Thursday. So you're on a year-by-year basis is what you're trying to say. Well, you're like most people do. Like my birthday this year fell on a Wednesday. I'm not doing anything <laughs> Wednesday night, you know. So I could have celebrated it the weekend before or the weekend after. So I went so the weekend say, after. Who's like who's saying happy birthday? Are you going to say happy birthday to this person on the 28th or first? Like it falls on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Oh, I don't know. Like if you don't actually yeah. have a day that your birthday really doesn't <laughs> exist, I don't know how you get the happy birthday ad- ad- adulation. Yeah, I think you got to go 28th. It's your birth month. It's in February. The 29th is February 29th. I think you're cheating on your birth month if you go uh, March. Well, I, I don't think okay, so that's a different March. question though. So in that <laughs> aspect... The happy birthday falls on the 28th because it's the only day left in the month. When you celebrate it falls differently depending on where it is on the calendar. Like if you're telling me the 28th one year is on a Saturday and the and the first is on a Sunday, well, I don't want to celebrate on Sunday night. I'll go out <laughs> Saturday night and celebrate the birthday. You right? take off from work on Monday. If you can still take a day off, you can still use well, that. Not that, at my age, man. Day. Not at my age. <laughs> All right, that's all I got for you, Mike, today. That's Uh, our four piece. There you go. Nick's Nuggets here on the Sports Bash. He's back tomorrow to get us ready for the weekend here on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Good job out of Nick. You can hear him. Uh, His podcast is called The Shift. And 
on Saturday's edition of The Locker Room with Billy Schwein. All right, Sports Bash coming up. Another chance for you to qualify for that Phillies road trip to Baltimore to see the Phillies and the Orioles. Listen for the sounder, and when you hear it, be seventh caller at 609-573-3776. We got plenty more, the big three in the next hour, and five free agent offensive players that might make sense for the Eagles. We got that coming up in about 13 minutes. It's with Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 452, want to tell you about my friends at Progressive Fence and Railing. Yeah, the secret weapon for this spring season. You can get a new fence, a new railing, a new deck, a new awning. They've got the Magic Touch experience, top-notch quality, impeccable craftsmanship. And finance options that can fit your budget. If you're in the need for something like that, call Progressive Fence and Rail. Free estimate today. They got options that can fit your budget. Or go to ProgressiveFenceAndRail.com. Mike Gill in the Sports Bash. Hey, we've got a lot going on, including another chance for you to qualify for that trip to Baltimore. And don't forget, this weekend on Saturday, Josh and I will be out with Union Forge Vodka. They'll have a sampling from noon to two. We'll be there from noon to one at the Byright Black Horse Pike in Williamstown for Flyers tickets. We've got a pair of tickets for the Flyers and Devils. So we'll be giving those away out at the first stop in Williamstown. Then we're heading over to the Byright in West Defford. We'll be there from three to four, and we'll have another pair of Flyers tickets to give away. So you want to go see the Flyers play the Devils, we've got two pair of tickets one at the Buy Right in Williamstown, one at the Buy Right in West Effort. That's this Saturday with Union Forge Vodka. The thrill of the game, the roar of the crowd in your hand, a glass of ultra smooth, six times distilled Union Forge perfection. Union Forge is made right in the Philly area. So stop by and get a Union Forge Vodka sampling, and you can win a pair of tickets to see the Flyers and the Devils. So if you're out and about this weekend and you want to get some of your shopping done for the fridge this weekend, a little happy hour Friday recommendations, buy right Williamstown, buy right West Defford. Cheer on the Flyers with the best-tasting vodka produced right in Philly. Grab a Union Forge bottle today. All right, more Sports Bash on the way, including... A couple of options on offense that the Eagles could target in free agency. We'll have that. I'll give you my thoughts. Tim McMahon, this over at ESPN.com, put out the five offensive free agents that the Flyers, excuse me, the Eagles should have some interest in. Phillies win today, 5 nothing. Good job by the pitching staff. And there it is. It's our Philly sports trip sounder for the trip to Baltimore to see the Phillies And the Orioles at Camden Yards, Father's Day weekend in Baltimore, 609-573-3776, caller number seven. Right now, you are entered to win that trip to Baltimore with Philly Sports Trips. You'll get round-trip transportation, two lower-level tickets, the tailgate party, and more. You must be present to win at our Phillies opening day watch party at Maynard's in Margate. Yes, March 28th, the Phillies open the season against the Atlanta Braves. The Sports Bash will be live. The TVs will be showing the Phillies, and we're going to give away that trip. It's all thanks to Philly Sports Trips and the great Maynard's in Margate. Caller number seven, good luck. 
This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, live from the Ocean Casino Resort Studio, here's Mike Gill. All right, just after 5 o'clock on the Sports Bash live, 97.3 ESPN. Yes, indeed, we got you for another hour, hopefully on your drive home. It's been a beautiful day out, by the way. Feels like we were at Philly spring training almost, right? Phil's won today 5 nothing. Home run for uh, Pache. Pache must have heard me uh, saying that he stinks. He goes yard. I don't think he actually stinks. He stunk last year. He hasn't been very good, but I like Pache. I think he's a guy who has talent. He has to play more. He missed a lot of time last year, and that didn't help, but he's been bouncing around. Look, he's been a high prospect. He was in Atlanta. They got rid of him. He was in Oakland. They got rid of him. And the Phillies kind of scooped him up thinking, hey, can we get something from this guy? He seemed like he was turning around last year, and then he got hurt. So, look, I'm not going to sit here and say I have high expectations for Pache. I don't think he stinks. I think he's got a lot of talent, but he hasn't played enough. So that's one of the deals there. Hopefully he had a good offseason, came back, and so far he's got a couple dongs. Hit one today, hit one uh, in the opener a couple uh, a couple days ago. So I'm, I'm rooting for Pache. I just don't know where he fits on this team. Yeah, your concern is more about what his fit is, not that you hate him or something. Yeah, I know. I like, but I, I also will say with that, I go back to <laughs> I wouldn't hit Pache for Rojas last year in that spot. I mean, but that's me saying I like Pache and I still wouldn't have hit him in that spot. It's different if I say, man, I hate that Pache. I think he stinks. I and I wouldn't hit him there. Then no, I'm being you, biased against him. I wouldn't have yeah. used Pache just because last year I just didn't think it was a good spot for him. I don't think he's played enough. I didn't think he played enough last year, and I just didn't think it was a good spot for him. Now this year, I don't know where they're going to fit him. I just don't know if you want a fifth outfielder on the team. But we'll see. I mean, I know that uh, these are things that are going to get figured out. Him hitting a home run today. It's his second home run. Uh, Trey Turner went yard today. I didn't see um, they won five nothing. So the pitchers did a good job. I didn't see after a while. I, I kind of lost track of who. Let's see uh, who was in the who pitched today. I know uh, I think Brogdon was out there today. He's a guy that I don't know has a long shot to really make the team. I'm trying to figure out how many spots are really up for grabs. I got you the five starters. You usually keep about thirteen pitchers. bullpen arms. Pitchers all together. I mean, all uh, yeah, b- between the starters. 13 bullpen arms would be actually kind of wild. Yeah, five starters, and then you would add the eight bullpen arms. Right. And that's 13 guys. And then after that, you have 13 position players. So really, you have the 10 guys. You have um, Harper, Stott, Turner, mm-hmm. Bohm, Marsh, Rojas, Castellanos, Real Muto. So that's eight. Eight guys. Then you have Merrifield. Yep. He would be nine. Mm-hmm. So then you have 10, 11, and 12 that you really need. So there's three spots. One goes to Stubbs. So there's right. only two spots that I see up for grabs for position players. You see up for grabs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think, well, really, no. I would say one spot because Sosa's going to make the team. Okay. I don't think Sosa's in trouble. Do you? I don't think he's in trouble, but I would be curious to see what happens if somebody outplays him or something. I, I, all right. Well, I would say that like he's on example, the team. For example, would they consider Here's Merrifield. why Sosa's on the team. He plays shortstop. Couldn't Merrifield play shortstop? I don't think so. I don't think Merrifield's ever played shortstop. 
I don't think he's ever played a game at shortstop. Honestly, I don't. I think he's played first. I think he's played second. I think he's played third. I think he's played the outfield. If he's played shortstop, it's been very limited. Like a limited, like a small number. Very, very. Because I, I don't remember seeing that he's ever played shortstop. I could be off on that. But I'm pretty sure I read the, or, or saw on baseball, baseball Reference where this is generally where we get this information on how many guys bat. If you're ever wondering, like, how do you know how many times the guy hit in the leadoff spot or number two or number three? You go to baseball reference, you go to splits, and you can You check are it correct. Out. He has never played shortstop. Yeah, I, I didn't think leagues. so. I didn't think he ever played shortstop at the major league level. So with that said, I mean, yes, you could use Stott there and play Merrifield at second. He does have 15 games at first. No, he's played first. He's played third. Um very so limited. So you're saying that Sosa is here. Sosa's number one position is shortstop. And he's probably the best shortstop on the team Fielding defensively. Wise. Right. But obviously they have Turner. So when Turner needs a break, he's a real shortstop as opposed to playing. Now, again, Stott is a shortstop who's now playing second. But right. do you want to move your starting second baseman and say, hey, today you're going to go play shortstop? Probably not. No. But I guess it's a possibility. So there's really nobody else on the team that like plays shortstop other than Sosa. Right. So, so you're that's why you're locking him in because of his specific position availability. Yeah. So that really tells me there is one regular bench spot up for grabs on the team. So literally the roster would be filled with the starting group of guys that we mentioned. And then that means the last spot would be Pache, Cave, Hall, Dahl, Dahl, Kingery, Cody Clement. You have six guys, I guess, going for one spot. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, think about it. That's really what it comes down to. That's a good thing, actually. It's a good thing. Six guys for one spot, but you, you keep in mind, um, one of the guys that is making the team that's generally thought to be an everyday player. You really have 10 guys who were thought to be everyday players. Marsh, Mayfield, Merrifield, excuse me. Um, Marsh, Merrifield, Rojas as the, the three guys in the outfield. Right. Plus Castellanos. So four outfielders. And then Harper, Stott, Turner, Bohm, Real Muto. That's your starting infield catcher. And then, really, the backup catcher automatically makes a team. Stubbs, so that is... Uh, so you already at 10. Yeah, 10. And then Sosa, to me, He's 11. is 11. And then, um, wait, I, there should be one spot. 10. Well, there if there's eight starting position players. There's 10 guys, and then the backup catcher is oh, 11. Oh, Schwarber. Schwarber's the DH. Schwarber's the DH, yes. That's where the one is missing. Correct. All right, good pull. So, yeah, I only see one spot between six guys. I figure between the two of us, we both wouldn't mess up the math. There was a reason why we came up with the number. 13 regular players, 13 pitchers get you to 26. We know the five starters. Mm -hmm. Nola, Wheeler, Sanchez, Suarez, uh, Walker. Walker. Then you know... All right, you know, so that's 5, 6, uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. That's 19 players now. So now you get to 26, and that's all bullpen arms. So those guys we know are going to be, I guess you know at least six of them, and they would be Alvarado, Alvarado. Hoffman, Soto, 
Dominguez, Strom, and Kirkering. That's six. So you still need another one. So who's one, that one guy? Right. So there's one bench spot and one bullpen arm is the way that I see it, right? Anybody think that there's a guy that I'm clearly missing? So of that group, you got Hoffman, Soto, Dominguez, Strom, Alvarado, Kirkering. So that's six. Right. That gets you to 25. Five. So you need one more. You need one more pitcher and one position player. And those pitchers includes Connor Brogdon competing for that one spot. Yeah, so now who are the guys that are competing for that one extra spot? <sighs> um, I don't know. Brogdon, I think, is in the mix. Spencer Mar- Turnbull, I guess, is a possible guy for, oh, uh, Dylan Covey. Uh, Dylan Covey. Junior Marte. Uh, there's a guy, kid named Michael Mercado. He's a kid they got from Tampa Bay. Right. He would be somebody that most people haven't heard of. Michael Rucker. Um, Frank brought him up yesterday. Uh, yeah, those are those are like the the long the guy who would be the long Colby Allard. He he's been uh, he's in time. Yeah, he's a lefty though. So if you bring him in, he would be kind of like I think Dylan Covey. Right, right now, who would be the favorite? It would probably be him. He would be like that long man favorite to be yeah the guy as like hey you know. Uh, the starter can't get out of the fourth inning tonight, or he, he pulled in the fifth, and then Kovey gives me two innings. Like, he's kind of, you know, and yesterday, no, Tuesday, I guess it was, Frank brought up an interesting point, you know, about why not sign Michael Lorenzen and have him on the team for the full season as kind of that swing guy, and then if somebody gets hurt, because Lorenzen is still a free agent, keep in mind. Right. He has, not to my knowledge, he has not signed I haven't seen him sign. Yeah, I haven't seen him sign with anybody. Yeah, him so. and Blake Snell are hanging out. Uh, yeah, Blake Snell and Montgomery. Right, Montgomery. How about this news that just came down a little while ago? Are you surprised by this at all? Is this going to be one of your big three, by the way? Depends on what it is. Caitlin Clark news? Uh, I saw that, yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, this has got to be the biggest story of the day, right? Well, is it though? I would, if you ask me, what are my big three stories today? That story's at the top of the list. Well, I never not even know a question. With you. I mean, come on, I'm not obtuse. Like, she's definitively the most, I mean, she's pulling ratings that we've never seen before. And I am pretty surprised by this decision. Why is that? Well, she's announcing, she she has announced that she will enter the draft. Before she finishes playing in college. She still has an NCAA tournament run to go. And one more game And this one weekend. more season. She is a junior. Right. So many people thought that she would come back because the NIL money, that she could essentially make more money as a college women's basketball player than a WNBA player. Well, since you brought it up, there's a reason why she's declared for the NBA draft. There's another part of the story. Right. I've seen, I just see her, her posting of what she said. So reports came out in the last couple of days that apparently Nike has been making a heavy push to Caitlin Clark to get her in their brand lineup. And part of their push is that they are going to make a woman's basketball Caitlin Clark signature sneaker line. Okay. But she had to go pro. Wow. 
I wonder why that is. There's why some... couldn't they make a sneaker line for why she was in college? Apparently they... I mean, the ratings, I think, this will be interesting. Yeah. She is the highest rated game on six different networks this year. Yeah. So... She is the biggest star. Absolutely. In all of... That's why I said, like, if, if I just saw this come across my screen... This, to me, is one of the, you know, this is one of those, like, topics that just, like, everybody seemingly, like, is intrigued by, interested in, you're watching, you're trying to find her game. It's almost like, um, man, I, I can't even compare it to anything because there have been great women's basketball teams Can and I great players, by the way, but, like, those UConn women's teams, like, even though they just kept winning and winning and they winning never and winning. They never had a megastar. They never drew you to want to watch them because they were so... Like, you didn't say, I have to see this team. They're so good, they never lose. Right. Whereas this... Caitlin Collins... Uh, Caitlin Clark, Clark, excuse me. Her team is not, like, the number one team. No, they're number six. Right. They're not the best team, but they have clearly the best player. And, like, the television networks are probably like, oh, my God, we got to get this girl on the screen. But they're not the number one seed. Nope. So it is going to be an interesting dynamic. They are pre- I was watching CBS Sports HQ last night. They were saying that they're probably going to two seed in the tournament. Which, I mean, again, they're a good team. But they're not, like, a clear, clear favorite to, to get to, like, the NCAA championship. Right. I thought for sure she would have gone back. Just because... You know, it's Iowa, and, you know, you play for Iowa, you just seemingly have, like, more, like, pride and connection to when you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's different. Oh, no, you- I know. It's it's a different environment there. But, you know, apparently this Nike money has something to do with it. And also the fact that she's going to break Pete Maravich's record this weekend, basically. Like, for those who don't know, Pete Maravich has held the all-time college basketball scoring records for like what is it 40 45 years at this mm-hmm. point and she's going to break that record this weekend. Yeah, but I mean okay, so there's a reason for her actually to go back is to extend that number so far that no one can come close to it. Maybe she doesn't want to do that. Maybe she right, and I'm saying. So now and keep in mind, like this is why I'm surprised too. She goes to Iowa, she's from Des Moines, right? right. Like she's a hometown girl who went to her the college in her hometown. Right, it's like LeBron getting drafted by the Cavs kind of vibes. And I just figured that she was going to. And now, if they win the NCAA championship, maybe she decides, you know what? I won the championship. I can move on. See, to me, the news isn't that she announced it. It's She announced it today, February 29th, on a day that won't even be around in a few, <laughs> next right. year. We won't be able to remember. Hey, remember when? Uh, that day doesn't exist. Right. You could do remember when in four years. Remember four years ago when there was a leap year, Caitlin Clark made his announcement? Like, for a story like that to just stop me in my tracks, when I saw it, I was like, whoa, she is going to... um, The NBA. NBA." You know what's funny? (laughs) This is pretty funny. So, Caitlin Clark announces she's going pro, right? A tweet from the Indiana Fever 18 minutes ago. 2024 season tickets available now. (laughs) For those who don't know, the Indiana Fever have the number one pick in because the WNBA expansion draft. team. So they will get Caitlin Clark. Which seems appropriate, right? That Clark would go from Iowa to Indiana, right? Well, yeah, Iowa obviously doesn't have a WNBA team. There's no professional sports in the state. So if you're trying to get her 
to a spot that would resonate with, uh, like, her area, that would be a good spot there. As opposed to, now, I'm imagining that the WNBA might say, well, we want her in a bigger market. I don't know that that matters. She's in Iowa now, and right. people are watching her. Yeah, and in the television world, you just said, people are tuning in to watch her games. If you're the WNBA, you don't care what team she's on as long as you get her on television. Yeah, that's. I don't think that it really matters um, all that much what market she plays on in a WNBA situation. I think you just get her. Oh, I'm down. seeing the same tweet that you just saw. It just popped up my slide now. <laughs> hop on board. Yeah, hop on board. Get season <laughs> tickets. We're going to get the best player possibly. Um, yeah, the Indiana Fever within an hour of her declaring for the draft. They tweeted out two things. One, that they have the number one pick, and then later they drafted that uh, hop-on-board season tickets are now available. I'm very intrigued, though, to see the impact of her in the WNBA because the ratings for the college basketball have been very, very good. But the question will be, will that carry over when she goes pro? Will she be as good as a pro? I mean, we talked about this before. Uh, Kelsey Plum was the all-time leading scorer in women's basketball history. He won history, And she has been a good player at the WNBA level, but she's not like someone that you're like, I got to watch Vegas Aces games. Right. What makes, to me, if I can make the analogy, to me, Caitlin Clark is the women's basketball what conor mcgregor was to the ufc it's not that the ufc wasn't popular before conor mcgregor came along but he he was such a mega shooting star of massive proportions that people were tuning in obsessively about everything mcgregor and the same with women's college basketball and the here, well, here, here's some numbers for the people out there this will this was tweeted by darren Ravel a couple minutes ago Peak viewership. Last year's WNBA Finals, 1.3 million people watched the WNBA Final last year. Last year's NCAA Tournament Final, 12.6 million. Yep. That is how powerful this girl has been to that sport. Yeah, she's getting 11 more million viewers. Well, the question is, though, do those 11 million people, did they tune in to see her play in college? And then are they going to tune in to see her play on a Tuesday night at, you know, the New York uh, Liberty? I say I would say that a good chunk of them will. I would say a majority of them will because, again, I go back to the McGregor analogy. Conor McGregor... People were tuning in before he got onto the pay-per-views because they were so enamored with him. And then when he had those big wins, his star kept growing more and more to the point where anything he said or did, even to this day, if you ask the regular UFC, MMA, like, you know, the intermediate casual fan, right? Name me a fighter. They're going to name Conor McGregor, right? They're not going to name, you know, uh Israel Adesanya or Kamara Usman or uh, any of those guys. No, they're going to name Connor. I think Caitlin is in that same category, Mike. Seems like it. I mean, obviously, you have a player who has transformed that sport. I mean, to, yes. to epic levels. You just, I, I certainly, again, it stopped me in my tracks when I saw the announcement out there, right? That, that story right now, her and that 
basketball team, what they're going to do. I guarantee you. Like for example, will you watch this weekend her homecoming game? Depends on what I'm doing. I mean, I I can honestly say I haven't watched a game of her this year. Like I okay. haven't like you know I'm not I don't have Peacock. But you're following. You're, oh, I certainly understand the story. Gotcha. I know the story. I don't have Peacock. She's played a bunch of games on Peacock, but um, she's also played a lot of games like on network television. Right. Like like I think it was last week, the week before she was on CBS. Right. Like regular CBS. Yeah. Exactly. But here's the thing. ESPN has the rights to the women's basketball tournament. Correct. I guarantee you that they're going to put her games on ABC when the women's tournament comes out. So they're going to try to get a matchup to where whatever seed they are, that they're playing on ABC television because you can get that many more viewers watching on on ABC. Yeah, and so I'm, I would assume that, you know, they're going to put her in a region that gives them good times, and then, you know, even if it's Iowa versus and – for, forgive me for not knowing the entire 64 women's field off the top of my head, but you know, let's say that they're they're playing Coastal Christian. Is that a school? A, uh, no, it's actually Coastal Carolina. My mind supposed to Texas Christian with Coastal Carolina. I was trying to think yeah. of two not very good women's college basketball teams, but if they're playing Coastal Carolina or TCU um, in the first round of the tournament and the game happens to be at 3.30 in the afternoon... There's your ABC time, Mike. Yep. So uh, that's the, that's some big news. I, I think that is pretty big news. That, and it's weird that we're saying this. That she, the big news is that she decided to enter the draft. Well, to me, it's layers. It's because if this is a college basketball men's player, of course they're going to NBA uh, right uh, the, enter the the uh, the NBA. Well, that's draft. that's part of it. Also, is she hasn't ended her season yet. Like usually, you make an announcement when the season's over, and everyone's asking like, "You going to come back? You staying? You going?" She made the announcement before her homecoming game. Yeah, she is, by the way, 17 points behind Pete Maravich. So she'll get that in the first 10 minutes of the game. (laughs) (laughs) And on the women's side, she passed Kelsey Plum, and she has just blasted past her. She is already 100 points past Kelsey Plum. So for those who don't know, so Kelsey Plum held the D1 record. Last night, she passed Lynette Woodard, who is the all college basketball levels, women scoring all time. So she's not just the she's not just going to become the all time scoring leader in Division One, Mike. Every level of college basketball, she is going to be the scoring goat, mm. men and women. Uh, it'll be a fascinating story to see if her game plays at the WNBA level. Do you think it will? I think it will for one specific reason. For as much as I enjoyed watching Kelsey Plum, I think Kelsey is more of a gifted talent than she was an assassin like Caitlin Clark is. Clark, I mean, it, it, she's got Kobe kind of vibes to her. She's got this killer mentality where she walks on the court and she's like, I'm going to take your soul. I'm going to crush you. You have nothing and on such me. an unassuming looking girl you know oh when you watch her do interviews she's the nicest person in the world but it's like a switch goes off or she turns into like jordan or something uh this is another interesting story i don't know if is is this fanatic story in your big three uh no i have a bally sports uh amazon story so real quick apparently um the uh fanatics they, I guess when you buy, you get, like, cash back 
it's like 3% on like certain things. Okay. They're going to lower it to 1%. Okay. <laughs> because apparently they're going to take the the money that they save to try to get new uniforms put together for the MLB players <laughs> by opening day because of the mess that has happened with these jerseys. We're going to take it from your rewards program so we can pay yes. for our mistake. That is right. I had to... <laughs> and there's another story that's kind of interesting, too. It looks like we're going to see the end of the chain gang in the NFL. Thank the Lord. Yeah, it looks like they're going to get uh, the technology. Now, it says it might not be ready for the 2024 season. Well, that's just lazy. Yeah, I don't know how that's not possible. Listen, but- they, they have the technology right now. They've been using it for years in FIFA, okay? There's literally inside the ball a little sensor. And the official, literally, they see a light that goes off. Yeah. Is it onside or offside? Yeah, it's, I mean, come on. The, the, the NFL has tested a system to measure line-to-gain officiating decisions, first down electronically. It will determine the interest of teams and owners moving forward with utilizing such a system during games. Who says no to that? Come on. All right. Uh, doing it too for you. We got today's big three. I got to find that actual fanatic story. I had it up in front of me, and then I refreshed my feed. Mm. But uh, I'll find the actual fanatic story. But, yeah, it looks like they're going to try to get new uniforms for the MLB players before the start of this Can season. Can you imagine, like, a dear fanatics customer, you will now no longer receive rewards points because we need no, to No, you're getting 1%, our- not 3%. Right, because we need, to, we need to fix the uniforms. All right, uh, big three, up next. We have the perfect for sitting in traffic. You come with me. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 5.33 on your Thursday night. No Sixers, no Flyers. Phil's won in uh, Grapefruit League action today. Another chance for you to qualify for the Philly sports trip to... Baltimore to see the Phillies and the Orioles on Father's Day weekend. Congratulations to our last qualifier. I don't, uh, I don't have that name in front of me. Here. Sorry, I thought I had it in front of me. I don't have the name in front of me. I wanted to congratulate our four o'clock hour qualifier. Who we got? Andrew and Margate. Andrew and Margate. We'll see it there at Mayor's. Yeah, right I, told, I told him he didn't have to go far. We'll be at Mayor's at Margate. Phillies opening day. And by the way. You're all invited to that. You don't have to qualify to show up to watch the Phillies, but if you want to win the Phillies trip, you've got to uh, be the right caller and get yourself down there, and then uh, we'll all watch the game, and then right after the sports bash is over, maybe during like the seventh inning stretch. So the sports bash starts at two. The Phillies start at three. The Phillies game should be done eh, right about the time we're getting off the air. So my seventh inning stretch probably like five o'clock. Yeah, so maybe uh, we'll, we'll you know we'll see where the game's at. We'll, we'll try to pull that. Maybe um, a little happy hour Thursday going on, you know, in Maynard's. Well, it's uh, opening day. I mean, so we got to add a little bit to it. Yeah. All right, big three time. What do we got? So I want to sit with the business side of some of this a little bit with sports, Mike, because it looks like Bally Sports is going to survive. For those who don't know the full story, so Bally Sports is the owner of 18 regional sports networks, and they have been basically one of the main financers for a lot of Major League Baseball and NHL and NBA teams through their regional sports contracts. 
but they've been running out of money. They were going bankrupt. And their parent company, Diamond Sports Group, who was originally financed by the Sinclair Media Group, they had to file for bankruptcy. Well, you want to know, Mike, who is saving them from bankruptcy? I'm imagining a, a streaming service. Amazon is now spending $115 million. That's actually less than I would have thought. Well, I mean, the, you're telling me all of the Bally Sports stations, how many stations or how many teams play on those stations? Uh, 38 in total. That's including baseball, hockey, and basketball. And basketball. Okay. You're getting 38 teams throughout the country. Amazon Prime paid $150 million for one playoff football game. And they just got 38 teams with all of that tonnage for... Well, this is the money they're doing to save them from bankruptcy. I got that, they, but still. But they, they're, they're going to spend more money than that. But the plan is, is that Amazon is putting the money up front. So this is not like over a period. I think they have it. Right, they have it. So Amazon, according to this article that I'm reading, is basically going to be soon the sole owner of Diamond Sports Group and Bally Sports. They're starting with $150 million to get them out of the bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. They are then going to spend another $100 million to now leverage the money that they owe to the teams to keep the rights to those teams. As Amazon is, and I'm quoting from this article, uh, they will be spending more. Yeah, I mean, once they get them, then the, the part for me that will be interesting will be, so Amazon Prime, did they have, like, weren't they the ones that did the, the Yankees games? So they had they had a handful of Yankees games. Yeah, yes. like twenty eight or on some Sundays. Yankees games. Uh, right. Was it Sundays or I thought it was either Saturdays or Sundays. Whatever it was. So, so it was you weekends, had Apple yeah. Plus had the Friday night games. Correct. Then you had Peacock had the Sunday games. Right. And then Amazon had select Yankees games. So what my question is: If you're an Amazon Prime subscriber. Will you then be able to? I'm wondering if I don't know if they like have said this, but will they have a section where you can go watch any of these Bally sports to watch local games? That is the theory. The theory is is that it's similar to how you go to other apps, like for example, if you have Max and you want to watch the game on TNT or TBS at that moment, you can watch it live in real time. Hulu does the same thing through their connection to ESPN+. Plus. So there are other apps that are doing similar functions. That would be cool because I do have Amazon Prime, and if I would be able to say, hey, I can go to the sports section and go watch you know, an MLB. Cincinnati Reds. There you go. Yeah, you can uh, you can basically watch any team now. If if, uh, if Cody Stashak makes the Giants roster this year, you can flip onto the Giants game at night. You can do uh, a lot of different things. Flyers, I mean, uh, hockey, basketball, and baseball. Thirty plus teams in all could be us. Uh, you know, now a lot of those teams. It'll be interesting to see how that re ha, uh, restocks their monetary losses. Well, this is going to be a big deal because now the Diamond Sports Group is going to have the money soon to keep paying for the rights, which is going to be a big deal because the whole point of this is if if Diamond Sports Group would have had to forfeit the rights money that they owe all these teams, then they would lose all the rights and the networks would become completely useless. Well, there was a lot of rights. There was a lot of teams that air their games on Bally Sports that had these huge, like, 
deals with the TV stations that paid the teams to air the games. Correct. Well, they went bankrupt, so those teams never got that money. Right. And now this is the they, – they had to get the money in by a certain date. Mm-hmm. And so they've got the money in. So it's going to be $115 million up front, another $100 million after that, so they can keep the rights. Got it. Very good to hear. Uh, For those out there who are wondering, Bally Sports would be the equivalent of NBC Sports Philadelphia. Correct. It's like, you know, if you go to Cincinnati, their games would be on Bally Sports Ohio, and we have NBC Sports Philadelphia. Like there's the Bally Sports that carries the Houston Astros. Yeah, I mean, there's Bally Sports all over the country. It's just a regional... Sports network like NBC Sports Philadelphia. And we're lucky that we don't have the Bally Sports. Yeah. We have an NBC Sports Philadelphia because they were all the Fox Sports channels. Right. Those were all the Fox. Uh, so it was 18 of the 22 Fox Sports regional networks all went into this cluster. Yeah. So there used to be Fox Sports Pittsburgh, Fox Sports Midwest, Ohio, Fox Sports, you know, Miami. Right. Fox Sports, you know, Florida, Northwest, you know. And then Bally's bought them and Bally's went bankrupt. Got it. Is that Bally's the Casino? Uh, Bally's the Casino was an investor. That's how they got their name on it. So you you drew the right thread there. They're well, the I know primary. they changed their logo to like a red something at some point. They did. Mike, my second story has to do with a WVU alum. Hmm. So Pat McAfee, he's off for two weeks from his show, but he decided to jump on... The All Smoke Podcast, which is hosted by Stephen Jackson and Matt Barnes. And McAfee went all in on his criticisms of ESPN executive Norby Williamson. I remember uh, when there were accusations about McAfee a couple months ago, he went on his show and referred to Williamson as a rat. Well, McAfee was asked about on the... All the Smoke podcast. So it's appropriate that he's talking more smoke, right, about Norby Williamson. And he said that, quote, that was a warning shot to Williamson about what he initially said on the air. He said, I am the executive producer of my show. I report directly to Jimmy Pataro and Bob Iger. I don't got a bleeping boss. He went on to further say that Williamson, who is also the former He used to do Jimmy Pataro's job, and he's in a different role now. He said, I guess a lot of people have a lot of fear of him. I don't. That guy left me sitting in his office for 45 minutes, showed me when I was supposed to have a meeting with him five or six years ago. So apparently McAfee is holding a grudge. Oh, yeah. This is well known from when he called him out on the show about a month or so ago. He went on to say on the podcast... That apparently when ESPN signed him, that Williamson, he says, tried to sabotage the whole thing. He explained to Steven Jackson. Yeah, I mean, that was like, uh, so about two months ago, I guess it was, uh, you know, the the ratings came out. And the ratings on television have not been great for the McAfee show. Right. And then the, the story got leaked to Andrew Martian, who at the time was working for the New York Post. And now he's at The Athletic. So Martian writes the story that... The ratings for the McAfee show have been disappointing. And McAfee then calls out, how would somebody have got this news, which wasn't even accurate, he was claiming, and he called out the person who put it out there. McAfee says, was said on the All the Smoke podcast that he's heard from 40 people who have worked at ESPN thanking him for going after Williamson. Well, you know, good for McAfee that he's in a position where he can just kind of do that. 
and it doesn't have to worry about it. <laughs> so McAfee, he's off, quote unquote, Mike, but uh, he's he's still on podcast, even though his show is off for two weeks. Well, guess what? You know, sometimes you get bored. You get bored. Yeah, there's, I mean, sometimes there's you know you you. you Want to do people favors who come on your podcast or do come on your shows? Sure. And you don't have the time to do it because you're doing a show. Now I have some time off. I can return the favor. Yeah. But he doesn't do a lot of that stuff. No, he doesn't. Uh, and by the way, your boy Jimmy Train has a full write-up of the McAfee on the All Smoke podcast. So I'm sure you'll hear that on your next Train of Thoughts. No, uh, it came out today. Oh, it came out today. Okay, so it'll probably give you the next one, though. Yeah. Uh, finally, Mike, I want to ask you, I want to put you in the position of an NFL executive, Okay. So, there are two NFL prospects at the Combine this week who, shall we call them conspiratorial individuals, and they were open with the media about their beliefs about conspiracy theories. So, Illinois tight end Tip Raymond, he at the Combine explained that he does believe in the birds aren't real movement. I've never heard this before. So the birds aren't real movement is a conspiracy that believes that all winged animals are actually spy drones for the government. Now, Raymond went on to explain to the media, quote, have you ever seen a baby pigeon? How do we know that the power lines aren't pigeon charging stations? He went on to explain that we have never actually seen many birds in real life and that he thinks birds are not real. The other player, Texas X Tyler Owens, explained at the uh, at the NFL Combine media meeting that he doesn't believe in outer space as in other planets. He feels that flat earth theories have a lot of valid points and he thinks the idea of planets outer space are pure science fiction. So you have these two men who are not top draft picks, right? They're not Caleb Williams or anything like that. So as an NFL executive, when you hear these guys saying this stuff, would this deter you from drafting them? No. Um, no, not at all. I mean, I could think that they're they're out there. I don't have, like, that's the whole thing with everything. Like, I don't care what you believe in. Like, if that's what your belief is, I don't have to agree with you. It's not going to make me, like... The dislike people have for another human being who doesn't agree with the way they think is perplexing to me. So just because that guy thinks the, that, that the birds are... <laughs> I've never heard this before. Um, but I wouldn't say I dislike you or I don't want to... You know, I wouldn't draft you for it. I could say you're, you're, you're a little wonky. So I disagree with you for this reason. I think that for me, if somebody is, believes in something that has factually been proven... Like, there is evidence that birds are real. Like, people have literally held birds, watched birds, taken care of birds. Yeah. Right? I mean, like I said, I To I me, think- I'm concerned now that if this is how you believe about, like, the world around you, that as a professional, you might not be fully mentally equipped to do the job I'm paying you to do. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean... Why not? Well, because... Just because he doesn't, like... Maybe... <laughs> There's a lot of people who aren't very bright and yet can still perform their perform in their particular field. You know, like you might have somebody who's really a good whatever carpenter. Maybe they're not great with money, but that doesn't mean they can't. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, just because he doesn't have like you're saying it's proven and he doesn't believe it. OK, I mean, that's his problem. But that doesn't mean he can't perform his job. So you don't have a concern that his mental critical thinking is compromised. No. See, I think it is. 
I think that this is an individual that is literally showing you that his critical thinking skills have been compromised. And I don't know if I can trust him if I'm paying him. You know, what would he get? Well, what is a rookie minimum in the NFL? 500000 or whatever? It yeah. It's a lot of money to be paying somebody. I mean, there's plenty of people like uh, Kyrie Irving is a flat earther guy, right? Well, he's a flat earther who's now no longer a flat earther. Well, so so, that so if he was in the draft and he was a flat earth guy, he has been able to. Now, he's been a little out there. He has. But would you not draft him if he if you knew that at the time? I think I would have to consider it. You, I, might, you would say I have to consider it. But the point I'm making is. But he's more talented than Ty Raymond is. But that's my point is you're going off the talent as to why. And so now it's a talent thing. It's not what you're saying. Because if he was it's talented enough, his critical thinking aspect of it, you wouldn't care about. Maybe, maybe not. I, I think that I would have to. I don't know anything about the guy. Like you're saying, he's like a like a, a third round pick, or yeah, Raymond's probably going to be a day three pick. A day three pick. Yeah, day. Three. I've never heard of either one of these guys. That's part of the problem. So that's why they're making headlines. But I also wouldn't. Again, Is that why they're saying it? Are they saying it to get more attention to help their draft? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know why you would volunteer that information. But guess what? If that's what your thought is, you might not think that that thought's so crazy. Maybe. So you would say, why that's would you concerning. volunteer that? Well, why wouldn't I volunteer that? That's what I think. I think there's a lot of people who would never want Kyrie Irving on their team because he's odd. Maybe, but you're asking me if I would draft him. And you said if Kyrie Irving was available to me in the draft and he was the best player, I don't care what he thinks about what the earth looks like. Okay. And I don't care whether that guy thinks birds are real or not. <laughs> can you can you do the job that I'm asking you to do? What you think when you leave here, don't have any care in the world about. I It is one of the more perplexing things about the world we live in is that other people care so much about what other people's beliefs are. I don't give two flips about what anybody believes or cares in. It will not deter- <laughs> like it doesn't change my day if you're somebody who believes in this and not that. Yet some people get so angered about it and it is bizarre to me. But this guy here, I don't care what he thinks. I'll draft him if he's good enough. All right, well, that's your three. All right, big three today. We'll close out the show coming up next. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, getting ready to get out of here on this uh, Thursday night. Don't forget, uh, tomorrow we got Sixers and Flyers. Nothing going on tonight, but Saturday we've got uh, two stops. Williamstown Byright, West Deptford Byright with Union Forge. Vodka. We'll have Flyers Devils tickets. So if you want to see Flyers Devils, stop out. Just put your name in the box. You don't have to stay and hang out the whole day. Just get a little taster of uh, Union Forge Vodka. Put your name in the box. Get all your goodies for the weekend. And we'll call you on Monday to let you know if you win the Flyers Devils tickets. That's the Buy Right Black Horse Pike in Williamstown. Buy Right in West Defford. And with that, I need caller number 7, 609-573-3776, 609-573-3776. Caller 7, you are entered for a chance to win a road trip to Baltimore to see the Phillies play the Orioles at the great Camden Yards with the great Philly sports trips. You'll get two lower-level tickets to the game, round-trip transportation, and a great tailgate party with the Philly 
sports trips. Guys, it's Father's Day weekend, June 15th, Saturday, Phillies, Orioles, Camden Yards. How do you win? Be caller 7 right now at 609-573-3776. And then we'll see you at Maynard's in Margate. We'll have a Phillies opening day watch party at the great Maynard's in Margate. Opening day, March 28th. We'll see you. Caller 7. Good luck.